Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to the latest episode of Remap Radio with Rob still out on Rob's still well-deserved break. Uh, I am your host, Patrick Klopik. Uh, you can join and support everything we're doing at Remap over at Remap Radio. Join us. Join us. Join us at Remap Radio. Remap Radio. At RemapRadio.com. Which I think Kata was going to delete and then put in something much, <laughs> yeah. much funnier yeah. sounding. <laughs> Today, I am joined by my colleagues, Ricardo Contreras. Hello. Renata Price. Hello. And author and PC Mag senior analyst, I think I have that right, Jordan yes. Miner. Yes, hello. It's me. Happy to be here. Uh, the, the folks listening cannot cannot see this, but uh, Jordan has a delightful setup clearly showing a newly minted author uh, ready to do all sorts of video podcasts, which we do not do, although we have noted people's requests for it and... <laughs> Who knows? The future the future can change. Uh, but uh, behind Jordan is a bunch of video game of the year, uh, the book that Jordan uh, is on the cusp of uh, releasing into the world. We will chat about that shortly. But I just I just wanted to remark on the beautiful uh, layering uh, that has happened uh, behind. Did you uh, was there any sort of like consulting with the publisher in terms of what like, how to stack these books? Behind no, you? I have a lot. Of, I have a lot of freedom. Um, they have a lot of faith in me. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, there are other. I've done video interviews, so folks can see this on the internet. This whole this whole setup. That they yeah, if you've gone nice. to YouTube, Jordan Minor Game of the Year, uh, you will yeah. you will find uh, lots of uh, spots that Jordan has been doing as uh, Jordan hustles uh, around the internet to uh, to to promote uh, the book, uh, which we will get to in a little bit. Before we uh, do that, how was Fourth of July? Anything anything special? Anything, anything good, bad, <laughs> terrible? No, the we, air we was watched. burning. <laughs> Jordan, go ahead. I was going to say, we watched Jaws and The Meg. Oh, back to nice. back. <laughs> That's good. The Meg is a, is a surprisingly good, bad movie. And then Jaws is an all-time classic film. But I, I feel like that, that's a good pairing. To get ready for the Meg too, also. Yeah, I was uh, gonna ask because that that hadn't come out yet, right? I heard no, people talking soon. about it though. Uh, my wife's most anticipated film of the year, uh, <laughs> Meg Two. I, you know what? Same. A, my uh, wife as well. My wife's a big shark person. Um, although, uh, you know, I don't, mm, uh, I don't like talking about my family too much on the podcast. But if I am putting someone slightly on blast, it was all sort of like hypothetical. I love sharks until we went on our mm. honeymoon, and then I was like, "There's." We were in Hawaii. It's like there's like, you know, cages where you can go on a boat and go down and 
they'll you could see some sharks. Yeah. It's like, yeah, let's do that. Well, we got on that boat, put on that our outfits, and suddenly faced with the prospect of actually seeing a shark. Was not was not as excited about the prospect <laughs> of being face to face. And I sat with her for a little bit. I was like, what's the deal? Are we I am supportive of you and I, I'm recognizing and acknowledging your fears. But also, I'm going in that fucking cage and you're going to stay on this boat and said, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. And they I forget the exact terminology, but they they called them like vegetarian sharks. Like they don't it's they don't like chum the water with red uh, meat and blood and stuff like that. So uh, the specific type of sharks also mm-hmm. would not be inclined to eat you as well is my is my understanding of the situation. But nonetheless, they're still. Sharks, and you're in the middle of the ocean, and that is spooky uh, in, in and of itself. I came away with 4th of July with pink eye, so I got that going No. Cute. Yeah. Well, you spent enough time in a pool, and I feel like it, did anyone spend, if you spent a lot of time in a pool growing up, if you were a swimmer or anything like that, pink eye was one of the more common things to, to come away from. Really? Uh, every, oh, yeah. Oh, pink eye is like. I feel like, like I never got pink eye from a pool. Maybe you're just, you know. Maybe Luck, just built lucky. different, yeah. but uh, like, like pink eye is enormously contagious about touching, and so you just go into a pool and it's like, "What up, eye? Just drip, drip just get in there, <laughs> get in there." And other people are putting putting their eyes. For all I know, Ren has pink eye because uh, Ren has uh, graced our presence on this, uh, <laughs> as I'm told, extra sunny New York morning with uh, uh, Deus Ex sunglasses on wow you're gonna call these days at- listen if you want i've posted a little the matrixy i've posted a little drill the maybe <laughs> a little drill you know what? i'll take that i'll take that ask me anything about a wife <laughs> like just in general yeah broadly <laughs> drill promise like i can tell you about wives good bad great great all right wives. hey you heard it here heard first it here wives first. Great here on the podcast, including my wife, even if she was scared of going into uh, those those shark infested mm-hmm. waters. There's another very cool book, the Drill Book. That oh, nice! Look at that drill on the podcast. Is Drill on threads to drill to drill make the jump? Oh my uh, god! Drill, drill of an Instagram profile? No, I don't think so. Sh- uh, show of hands, who who did did everyone do the thing no. that everyone else was? No, okay. I'm trying to sell a book, no. so I'm getting on as many platforms as possible. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's a professional uh, requirement. So if it's not a private thing where you got to ask for an invite from your buddies, it's it's a step too far. <laughs> Blue sky still requiring the the, the fucking invites. Yeah, I didn't. I definitely <laughs> thought people were talking about. Uh, some feature on Twitter for like half the day of like what the fuck did they change how threading works on Twitter is that what before mm-hmm. I realized it was a fucking app didn't it's it's tied to your Instagram too I don't I don't want to fuck with that I think it I think it can be tied to your Instagram but okay. does not have to be I maybe I don't know I have a public Instagram that I don't I definitely saw use. someone saying that if you do tie it you can't you can't delete your threads. You thread. have to delete. You have to delete your yeah, Instagram account. Yeah, you cannot account. delete your thread account unless you delete your Instagram account. Yeah, I believe is the way. That's uh, messy. It, it works. <laughs> that is that. It, yeah, that seems. I don't know. I don't know that we need to give Zuckerberg uh, more more power, but I don't know. I saw the number go up for a while. like. I will say my favorite part of all of these is like. Look, I signed up for Mastodon. Figured out that bullshit. You know what that did? Immediately went to like the fourth page of my phone. After like <laughs> like a month, 
Blue yeah. Sky is sitting there next to Twitter. And you know what? I didn't open Blue Sky for like the last month until all the Twitter stuff was happening this weekend. God. And then I signed up for threads and that'll probably move to the Blue Sky spot because my favorite part of all of these is just the first week where it's just chaos and it just feels like a bunch of people like running into a room, like smashing at the walls to see how they can break it and like piss off the companies that are building it before inevitably they're like, like straight up like addiction to Twitter just kicks back in again. They're like, no, I need to go back to Twitter where I feel like shit. I can't go to any of these other services. I need to go to, I need to go back to this one where my numbers are the biggest. I was going to ask, do we, do we still think Twitter ultimately wins? I still think that's ultimately what happens here. I mean, it sort of depends on what you mean by what's the definition of win in this <laughs> scenario. It becomes, even if it's dead, it's dead in the Facebook sense that it's still used by millions of people every single day. I think that is, I think that is probably right. Like yeah. I, 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 I'm a big believer or I really like the, uh, the newsletter garbage day. Um, and the, I don't have, I should just pull up the line cause it was a really good line from the most recent, um, news. It's a garbage, it's a garbage day is a newsletter about, um, sort of like social media, internet culture. It's just, it helps me understand trends that I, I don't, I don't want to research it. Can you just tell me like what's happening on TikTok? Uh, and then I, I read garbage day and I find out, but anyway, this is from <laughs> Ryan Broderick. Uh, and, and they wrote, uh, I think hardcore Twitter users have rose colored glasses about the site's coolness. The reason for its success, if you can argue that it ever really was successful, wasn't that it was cooler than Facebook. It was because of its, because of its proximity to power. The reason it was so popular with activists, extremists, journalists, and shit posters was because what you posted there could actually affect culture. The thing that ties together pretty much everything that's happened on Twitter since it launched in 2006 was the possibility that those who were not in power or wanted more could influence those who were. And I don't think it's an accident that a deranged billionaire broke that, nor do I think it's an accident that we're suddenly being offered smaller, insular platforms or an offshoot of a meta app as replacements. The folks in charge clearly don't want that to happen again. The the other thing that like really gets me is like all of the, you know, all of the changes we've seen to Twitter have been about visibility and who like gets to be visible, which like, you know, I think a lot about um uh like a lot of the major changes to Twitter is like about visibility, whether it be like who is visible, uh, whether or not posts are visible at all, if you see more than six hundred of them in a day, if your eyes accidentally glance too many times. <laughs> Wait, do the sunglasses count against your rate limit? No, that's a, this is a wizard Twitter <laughs> hack. You're right, Patrick. These are Deus Ex glasses. I'm hacking right now. Um, I, honestly, it feels like Twitter is going to enter like a post shitification state. Um, mm-hmm. We're like, yes, we. You know, I think about um, you know Cory Doctorow's uh, the shitification of TikTok. Or oh, so how yeah, can exactly you define define that, t- that term? Has become fairly popular, but in case you have not heard of shitification, what is what what is that? To borrow from Dr. O, here is how platforms die. First, they are good to their users. Then they abuse their users to make things better for their business customers. Finally, they abuse those business customers to claw back all the value for themselves. Then they die. I call this in shitification. Uh, and it is a seemingly inevitable con- consequence arriving from combination of the ease of changing how a platform allocates value combined with the nature of a two-sided market where a platform sits between buyers and sellers, hold each hostage to the other, raking off an ever larger share of the value that passes between them. Uh, and like the thing that like fascinates me about 
about specifically the death of Twitter is that it feels like it is going to, it, it is going to, we were going to see a post inshitification Twitter, right? It's going mm-hmm. to not do the thing that like is supposed to happen with inshitification, which is that your platform rots and dies like, like truly. And instead, like, like Jordan was saying, we're going to get like this half life uh, uh, of this website, but a post inshitification version of it, um, which like, I don't know if I'm that interested in. I think I'm good yeah. up here. It's not as dramatic as I think some people are maybe speculating. Um, that it won't yeah, be this, I th- like, I think, yeah. I, yeah, I think that's. I think that was definitely the feeling when when Musk took over. That like, oh, you're firing all these people, the way you're treating it, you know, it's all just gonna fall apart. And it has, in many ways, become an extremely rickety, uh, like local roller coaster where you're you're not sure about the structural integrity, but you're still getting on. And you kind of just hope that you can go around and get off and not be the one that's the accident on the lo- on the local news. But I like I think like the most optimistic scenario for Twitter is probably Tumblr, right? Which is like a a service that where it like essentially destroyed itself, but pe- like the true sickos just stuck around, and Tumblr continued to exist. And now Tumblr, in many ways, has come back. Um, and it's not as prominent as it used to be, but my, my understanding from not as an active Tumblr user, uh, anymore is that it has become improved and cared for and seems to have operators that understand what people liked about Tumblr in the first place. I I think with the note being that like Tumblr doesn't shape culture though, like there was some, there was a point in time where Tumblr shaped culture, capital S capital C in the way that Twitter, uh, did, or is like just now leaving the era where Twitter shapes culture, right? Uh, And, like, one of the things that I find interesting about, you know, the ways in which, like, Tumblr has kind of come back is that, like, content is made with Tumblr in mind and, like, with the communities currently existing on Tumblr in mind, uh... With the understanding also that like Tumblr culture does not shape broader culture, right? There is, but there are still like shows being pitched. I'm sure there are people pitching shows right now who are like, listen, there is a user base, there's a community on Tumblr who will go fucking crazy for this. And you know what? I bet it's a compelling pitch. But the thing with Twitter is that like, I don't think that community and like community on Twitter exists in the same way where like no one is going to in a post inshitification Twitter. I think that we have people building things around discourse or like takes around like public discourse a little bit less because there will just be less public discourse going on. And like I'm like kind of fascinated to see what like media looks like in a in a in a post inshitification Twitter um you know what is the actual like thing driving traffic because right now or you know historically it was conversations between writers like publicly uh on on websites with twitter would help like drive a lot of like popularity and platform yeah it's uh they broke tweet deck which yeah. i don't use tweet deck i use so tweet deck is 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 really for like twitter power users like for like people who run socials um accounts for various services or in my case it gives me a lot of columns and I have lists for various things that I follow either personally or for work. And that would just sort of exist in a tab on a different monitor. And I could just look and get like a broad chronological sense of like what's happening. It's a lot of how I would chase stories and come and do some story idea generation. Like what are my friends talking about? Like what are, what are happening in these other cultures and in gaming? Um, And now tweet deck is going to, is going to become Twitter blued. And so it's like how, (laughs) Now, this is happening at the same time that I'm not doing that kind of work anymore, right? Where I am, I am leaving, I got, at, at Waypoint, I was doing more traditional reporting. Remap, we don't currently have 
sort of a writing component, something that might change in the future, but like currently is not something that we're prioritizing. And so do I just take that and I, I just live with that or do like, how do, do I have to like have a, a second? Pro- Cause I will not put that blue check on my account. Do I have to have a secret <laughs> second Twitter account that I'm paying for so I can have the tweet tech experience? I feel like there are more people that are going to do like that. I think that's going to be what happens, what happens next for the people that can't, they can't break it because I still Project. use it for our idea generation. And like, I don't, I don't know what to replace that with quite Name yet. your alt right now. Hmm. Well, <laughs> when I, in services, when I've done privates, I've just added a two to my name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Everyone, look out. It's the sequel to Patrick. Yeah. Patrick yeah. Two. Well, in many rebuild. ways, in many ways, it is a sequel to Patrick because like usually when I have like private alts, they are strictly just for being able to post uh, pictures of my children to like small communities of people. Uh, so in, like I wish I could say it was that clever that it's Patrick Klubik <laughs> 2 because it's Patrick Klubik's children and that he's sharing pictures of that. But that is uh, not that he, I'm going to claim that, though. I'm going uh, uh, <laughs> Patrick 2.0. You will not post again. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Um, I think as sort of related to to all of this, there was uh, you know uh, technically the story I'm, I'm I'm teeing up here is Valve responding to some claims that it has banned AI generated games from from Steam. Uh, Jordan, is this something that y'all have covered at PC Mag? Are you are you aware of of this story and like what's been going on with Valve and how they're talking to developers? It's going to be really bad if I say I'm not entirely sure what our news team is covering because I'm so siloed off. Hell yeah. Reviews. Hell yeah. Lo- <laughs> I, I think that just means that you're that just means you're hustling, you're working. That's, that's true. Why, that's I, true. I, yeah. I'm here. I'm here to do that for you. But basically, I want to like I think this is a an interesting conversation to set up because of also it's been happening over at Geo Media uh, over the weekend um, uh, in regards to their AI journalism bots uh, that have been ro- rolling out. But so in this in this in this specific instance. Um, there was a deve- an indie developer who posted to uh, a subreddit uh, called AI Game Dev, which is a little horrifying on its own. But maybe maybe people are doing cool shit. Possibly, it's definitely possible. Um, <laughs> anyway, this developer like submits their game with as they as they wrote uh, some quote fairly obviously AI generated assets. Uh, they said my plan was to submit a rougher version of the game with two to three assets priced are admittedly obviously AI generated. Um, and then to improve uh, them prior to releasing the game, as I wasn't aware Steam had any issues with AI-generated art. They got a, a message back from Steam, which I won't read the entirety of, uh, but it says, Hello, while we strive to ship most titles submitted to us, we cannot ship games for which the developer does not have all the necessary rights. After reviewing, we have identified intellectual property in, insert game, which appears to belong to one or more third parties. In particular, uh, this game contains art assets generated by artificial intelligence that appears to be relying on copyrighted material owned by third parties. As the legal ownership of such AI-generated art is unclear, we cannot ship your game while it contains these AI-generated assets, unless you can affirmatively confirm that you own the rights to all the IP used in the data set that trained the AI to create the assets in your game. Uh, They got a follow-up from Valve uh, later. They said, uh, thank you for your patience as we reviewed uh, your game and took our time to better understand the AI tech used to create it. Again, while we strive to ship most titles submitted to us, we cannot ship games for which the developers don't have all necessary rights. At this time, we are declining to distribute your game since it's unclear if the underlying AI tech used to create the assets has sufficient rights to the training data. Uh, app credits are usually non-refundable. But we'd like to make an exception here and offer you a refund. Please confirm or proceed. This kind of goes around. Um, and then uh, Valve, who pretty notoriously doesn't really respond uh, to uh, sort of like public outcry about what they do. They sort of just do their thing and then move on. Uh, but they did issue a statement to Eurogamer 
uh, that said, we know it is a constantly evolving tech and our goal is not to discourage the use of it on Steam. Instead, we're working through how to integrate it into our already existing review policies. Stated plainly, a review process is a reflection of current copyright law and policies, not an added layer of our opinion. As these laws and policies evolve over time, so will uh, our process. Um, Ren, uh, not not to like you know refer to you as our game dev expert, but you obviously are paying attention to these spaces. Like, yeah. uh, were you seeing any conversation about this over the weekend, or things that you've seen or chatter about in the past as people sort of struggle with? the notion of AI dev as tool and, and, and even something like this, where you have policyholders trying to grapple with their own response to it. I, I will say it, it does depend heavily on like, cause like AI has been used in games for a really long time mm-hmm. and like, and, and a ton of different ways, right? Like for example, I just sent some like, you know, vegetation, like proliferation and propagation tech to my um, creative director, like earlier today, I was like, Oh, I saw like a good vegetation tech that is like an offshoot of a game that I really love. Um, Isn't that Speed Tree? Is that like Speed no. Tree like falls? Uh, yes. No, Speed Tree. No, Speed Tree is this. Yeah, Speed Tree is okay. also like variations. Like what you do with Speed Tree is basically you're like, I'm gonna teach you how to make one cool tree, and then Speed Tree's like, that's great. I love tree. Can I give you like 50 more almost trees? And you're like, fuck yeah, Speed Tree. I would love if you gave me 50 more almost trees. That would really <laughs> save me a bunch of time. And then it does. Um. And like it's 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 really good at that. However, Speed Tree like operates economically and like on the back end on like totally different stuff, right? Speed Tree is not looking at every single tree that every other 3D artist has ever made in history and then being like, well, let's smear all these other trees together, right? Like there's <laughs> there's not like an active It's not, not speed running the art of trees and then producing a tree at the end. Exactly, exactly. There's there's no like active plagiarism ongoing, which is the difference from something like, you know, using Midjourney or um, you know, another AI image generator is that like fundamentally those are those are just plagiarism machines. Do you want to do you want to press the cool button that that puts everyone else's work in a big blender and hands you out like kind of a shitty copy? Um and like Honestly, good. I think that, like, I'm kind of, like, pleasantly surprised by Valve being, like, this content is not going to be, like, accepted on this platform because, like, I I just, I just think that AI tools, like, the one referenced here are, like, just, like, fundamentally bad for labor. Like, it's a bummer that this person, like, has to do the work of, like, making temporary, making or, like, asking someone to make for them temporary art assets. But, like, Here's the thing. If you're looking for like temporary art assets for like the early access version of your game, I bet you can find some good public domain. I bet you can find a, some free asset packs on itch.io that will give you something vaguely approximating what you need right now that you will not have to do like a, a, any copyright infringement to do. You won't have to do any. It'll be so easy. You go on itch.io and you search character portrait and you find like, you know, Find a little twink, put him in a mech. You got this, buddy. Like you don't, you <laughs> that, don't, you is don't. Is that a package available on itch? I'm is sure that a subcategory of? <laughs> I'm sure it is. And oh god, I'm sure. Like twi- twinks for mechs is, I'm sure, a whole subcategory on itch.io. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Uh, Jordan, as someone that uh, has you know completed the process of writing a book, obviously the notion of a lot of these AI, AIs like ChatGPT, etc. I don't know. I mean, certainly spooks me as someone that has really valued the written word, like has a lot of their identity wrapped up in writing. Like as these things have, they've also been around for a couple of years, but really exploded in popularity in 
the last, you know, 18 months for sure. I don't know, like what has been your relationship with these tools propagating and how people incorporate them and how, I don't know, how it reflects on you as, as someone who's a writer yourself? Yeah, I was, uh, to give a better answer to what I was saying before um, at PC Mag, there's been a lot of union meetings about this, um, both mm. among ourselves and with management. Um, so that that's there's that. Um, and beyond beyond just the, the 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 ethics of it, I think what Valve is sort of recognizing here is that there's still really a huge legal question um, that they don't want to be caught on like the wrong side of. I think there was actually some authors recently that were talking about potential like lawsuits. Um, I don't have that story on hand. Um, you know, and then like you, I think a lot of people are just are not even thinking about that because they don't even really understand the tool in the first place. Like it came out that the the secret invasion director was saying, like, I don't even know how they made the opening that had all this awful smeary Sam Jackson alien <laughs> stuff. Um, so it's like yeah, if you don't yeah. understand it, you can't get sued over it. Like it's yeah. So I mean, so to, to contest to that, like in Secret Invasion, one of the new Marvel Disney Plus shows has, which is about you know uh, scrolls or these shape shifting aliens in the Marvel universe, the Opening credits of that show uh, were created by a studio that was contract. It's not as though Disney in turn is like, all right, like, like Chad GPT, like give me Disney plus intro to, to send the JPEG over to Kevin Feige. Uh, it was a studio using tools with art assets that they had made or were working with supplied by Disney to produce this. And then, they get, there's an interview over at Polygon in which I believe the showrunner or one of the main directors said, yeah, like, I don't know. They went and made this thing with AI and it looks kind of cool, which I think for a lot of people is probably going to be and is their relationship with these tools is like it's, you know, I'll be curious. Uh, how much does it actually incorporate into workflows? How much does it actually incorporate into their daily lives? Or is it a goofy, fun tool to send things to your friends, Ren? I also remember uh, a few months ago, we had, um, what was that game? Uh, Forsaken Bleak Faith, which had like AI generated uh, stuff in the game. And I ended mm -hmm. up like writing a little bit about that game because it was an like, oh, right. extremely small dev team. Uh, and they had to like very quickly pivot around like removing AI content from their game ASAP because like they got a lot of public backlash. But this was before it was, po it was common enough that Steam was like actively, actively shutting things down. The other thing that's worth noting is that like, you know, from a copyright perspective, even if you like tried to defend yourself by being like, oh, we didn't like take, for example, the the person who did not know how secret invasions like credits opening credits was working from a business perspective, like the person's still a little bit fucked. Right. The the innocent infringer. There's the idea of like uh, unintentional infringement of like copyright infringement uh, or the you know innocent infringer defense. But that requires you to not only like argue that you were unaware uh, of the fact that like you were not infringing um, copyrighted material, but then you have to go on to make the second case that you are in fact like you had no way of knowing. And you know what the problem with like all of these uh, uh, image generator generators are is that all of them use prompts which are saved. And so if someone types in X animation style or like X artist. You know, and then can I get an image with like this specific art style, which you have to do if you would like to get the content that you're looking for is you have to give like spe specific prompts. Um, that is like that is shit that will get you in a lot of trouble if you like admit like what prompts you used and they happen to involve copyright material. And chances are they will involve copyright material. Uh, and so like even like 
ooh, technically I didn't know this wasn't allowed. Like, you were aware, though, that you were using copyrighted materials at the end of the day, um, given that you did search for them. I was listening to uh, an episode of the the New York Times, the Daily Podcast, and it, they they did something interviewing students about their relationship with the software. And I actually found it like pretty interesting and enlightening to hear like younger people who, you know, cause obviously there's been a lot of discourse and like, Oh, or, you know, is this going to destroy education or kids just going to use this, you know, for, for cheating and like, how, how are we going to be able, how is this stuff going to be able to catch up if it's about to accelerate, you know, to the, the nth degree over the, you know, the coming years. And there was this one kid who told this story about, I might, I might be conflating some of these stories. It's been a week or two since I've listened to it, but essentially they, they were trying to, they were finishing this essay and, they they wrote a bunch of it, but then uh, fed in other data of theirs, like other essays, and then like had had one of these prompts, like write a version of the essay, and then essentially merged. It was like, can you take my data, like my essays, and then make this essay that you wrote sound like mine? And they still kept in some paragraphs of theirs as they're trying to figure out how to navigate you know, uh, uh, teachers catching on, uh, to, to the fact that you might've used this. And like this really bummer moment at the end of it was the paragraphs that the, that the AI used to make the AI's generated text sound more like this students graded better than what the student wrote by themselves. And the student is left at the end of that going, well, like, why, why would I even bother? Like, like the teacher likes the stuff that it made in my voice more than the stuff that I made. And that left me like in a pretty dark, like dark place. <laughs> and, and, and someone else also said, look, I'm not here. I'm not here at college to learn. Society has made this to be a perfunctory thing I need to do in order to get a job. It's a, as I, as I saw someone on Twitter, as we've been talking about the Supreme court stuff, they call it college as a job coupon. And it's like, if I need to get through the coupon store, do I need to learn along the way there or do I just need to get out with the coupon so I can get the job? I was like, mm, it's a good point. That's a good point. I could see, I could see why. I mean, it's dark. Um, Jordan, I don't know if you can talk about any of these conversations that you've, you know, like have given the, the nature of sort of geo media, which if people haven't heard, like has announced like many other publications have that they are going to investigate sort of AI publishing. And over the weekend had Giz- Gizmodo bot, I believe publish a like, chronological list of the star Wars, like television shows and movies. It's written extremely boringly. It's, it's got fundamental factual errors in that (laughs) it is not a chronological list of like the star Wars media in the way it's supposed to be. It, and uh, obviously on an existential level, like threatens the livelihood of a lot of people uh, in that work over there and more broadly represents an existential crisis for, I think, a lot of people uh, in, in media and wondering where this stuff is going to go. Like, can you speak to at all any of those conversations that you've been having or even if you can't speak to it, you know, internally, like just personally, how you feel about the rise of this stuff? Yeah, I mean, you know, our contract is up for negotiation next year. Um, we haven't published anything like that, you know, immediately. I don't think we're at big risk of that happening anytime soon. Um, hopefully not. Um, but yeah, we've had a lot of passionate meetings about it. Um, and I will just say personally, it's also just bad content like regardless from from everything else like these articles are like worse wikipedia articles um and the art (laughs) it sets off um what's that phobia where you can't look at things with like a lot of little holes in it (laughs) it sets that off for me like like i can't even look at it like i i I, like get itchy looking at the stuff um 
So I don't know. I mean, the, the only ones of these I've even gotten some some chuckles out of are people making like like fake president tier lists for like Resident Evil games. Um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's because even those involve an element of creative work. It's someone writing a funny script right. for then Biden to be like, "Yo, you guys are, re- are overrating RE4." Um, yes, but it's bad. It's all bad. Is my take. Uh, the Ryan, were you about to say? Oh, Kata, go ahead. Well, I was just uh, gonna say there's also that, you, like speaking to that, the fact that you just brought up like a, an, another form of it too, right? It's just like the the audio, like recreate like uh, things from like massive amounts of data out there. There's like so many different forms that this takes, even that are like, um, and so many different ways that people use the word AI, even if you drill down specifically to like games and the way that's like, you know, obviously NPCs controlled by AI, like what, what's their, what, what are their AI patterns? Right. Like that's not, none of those things are the same thing, right? This AI, the term AI has become this weird, uh, 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 catch all that has now described a million different things that are all kind of operating, um, slightly differently and like the 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 large i think it's what large language model is like the 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 mm-hmm. one that like chat gpt yeah. and like yes the those things in particular it feels a little bit like there was like an accidental like branding like we're just gonna call it ai so that <laughs> we, we can kind of hide under this uh blanket term um but like, yeah, really the thing, because even though, even like the one that you mentioned in that story, Patrick, where the person, the the student fed in their own data, there's no way they would have enough data to feed a large language model. So that was probably still, even then, something else that works similarly oh, for sure. to a large yes. language model, but isn't a, a full on chat GPT like uh, thing that pulls from they're, they're just doing the equivalent of like bold italics underline right. like you're just adding like a stylization um that that the you know i'm sure that if you were to take any of our writing that you know it would be easy to pick up on certain like stylistic things that each of us does in their writing that a you know an algorithm could pick up on patrick you love m dashes i know i know <laughs> i was gonna ask you what would it add to yours yeah. <laughs> it would add m dashes it's like cause you could put commas here i but i wouldn't i would put an m dash like that's how that's how i do everything you can put this in parentheses uh, what are parentheses i use an m dash mine would probably add the word buck wild a couple extra times <laughs> <laughs> wow i can finally make the world's most pretentious robot <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy no, fe- feeding him my stuff. Who are you kidding? Yeah, I can. I, 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 I know where I. I know where I am weak. <laughs> I was gonna say I'm. I'm Dr. Costco over here. I feel like I'm running in the opposite. I'm trying doing my best to run in the the opposite direction. You yeah, just, there'd be some Costco references. Uh, that would also probably be like some way to make sure you know that 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 I did it. Mine is definitely. Um, it, oh, wow. Mine is definitely. If you flip a coin, it's it's. Who who could say? Apostrophe mm-hmm. or not, it's just gonna be a flip. <laughs> now, <laughs> oh, is now, that your is that your Achilles yeah. heel? Yes, hundred uh-huh. percent. I always fuck it up. Now, how do we teach 
how do sorry, I was just going to say, how do we teach the AI to write and then delete and then rewrite a message four times <laughs> over? Like, that's, <laughs> the, that's the only way to get the real Kato experience is if the message, like, if it you read, if you read the article made, written times. by the AI and you were like, I can feel the echo of someone <laughs> having a slight anxiety attack while writing this. Yeah, yes. It's like, Kato, are you ready for the podcast? Kato is typing. It's like, it's a yes or no question. Why has it been five minutes? Also, to be fair, Discord definitely does a thing that I've noticed where I will stop writing, but then like it'll still have the little dots for like a solid mm. 10 seconds after I've stopped because I got distracted and I'm doing something else. And then I come back and then I keep writing, but the dots are still there. So it looks like I've been writing for the solid amount of time. Uh I was just going to say feed in the book with not just me, but with like 70 other games writers right. to create the <laughs> ultimate like serpentor of, of games writing. Yeah. Just full uh, on Voltron of. <laughs> oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, that's re- OK. I, I Look, I could not have asked for a better pivot point than Jordan to talk about uh, your book, Video Game of the Year. What's the what's what's the pitch? Uh, the pitch, uh, right here on the cover is a year by year guide to the best, boldest, and most bizarre games from every year since 1977. Um, it's a video game history book, and the whole structure is each chapter, uh, from 1977 until now is about what I picked as the most significant game of that year, whether it's because it was the best or the most influential, or I just wanted to talk about it. Um, and so by going in that sort of year by year format, I'm trying to deliver a pretty comprehensive view of video game history as a whole. Uh, where did where's the the genesis of the of the book idea? Where does where does this where does this come from? Where does one decide I'm going to write a book and then I'm going to write a book about this? Um, well, I've been trying to write a book for a long time, actually, um, <laughs> and a lot a whole lot of pitches that didn't ultimately go anywhere. Um, and it's funny, but once once we had the union, I felt a lot more comfortable pitching video game books and knowing I wouldn't get pushback of like. You write about games for us. You can't do it for other people. It's like, no, I right. can now. Um, <laughs> so that's when I started pitching more game stuff. And then that that's that's um, where we ultimately landed on this. Um, the, the genesis was I wanted to write a video game history book um, that would talk really about games. Like there's other great game books out there, but I feel like a lot of them focus too much on like executives or like just like the marketing or how successful they are as products. But I wanted to do a game history book that was really about the games and was really kind of like main, like arts criticism in a way, but that was still like approachable for like a mainstream audience. Um, and so this, this year by year format was a way to make it more like approachable. You can read it like it's pretty episodic. You can read whichever chapter you want and not have to worry about, you know, referring back to something else. Um, a way to force interesting decisions in kind of making like a game canon. Like I couldn't just pick like, oh, every, all these games, all these old games that of course would be in a best game of the year list, they're all in there. I had to kind of make interesting decisions and make a lot of hard picks. Um, and to be spicy, to potentially like piss people off of what <laughs> got picked and what didn't to like, you know, to cause an argument potentially, but in a, in a good natured way, I guess. Is is there anyone in particular that sort of comes to mind of one of those like, huh, like I could go in this direction, but specifically I'm choosing to go in this direction because I want to make a point or or highlight a game that wouldn't necessarily traditionally be on a list like this. Uh, so I picked Spore for 2008, not because that mm. is anyone's definition of the best game of any year, but I thought it was a really useful way of talking about games that 
game culture's problem with games that just have like impossible hype and expectations like that cannot a game that could never be what it promised to be mm-hmm. uh so that get, so that chapter talks about spore uh also talks about just like crowdfunded games and how those uh, like have to sell themselves on promises uh and have to keep making bigger bigger promises uh talks about peter molyneux in that chapter um and also you know you get to see kind of the the arc of sim games from you know the 1989 chapters about sim city and then you get to see that come spore in 2008 so that's a chapter that's more talking about uh, a trend or, you know, trying to make a larger point about games culture than about being about the best game necessarily. Do you have like a favorite arc throughout the book like that where you can like where you can like chart the development of a particular genre or like maybe even like, you know, not something as, as large as genre. But do you have a, a favorite thing where you're like, oh, if you look at like these specific chapters in conversation with each other, you know, you can you can chart something. Um, I think it's I was really happy with how the 1979 chapter um ended up confirming something i i kind of thought about for a long time so mm-hmm. that chapter is about a speed freak which is um like a old like vector graphics uh racing game so i'd always noticed that consoles tend to launch with racing games to show show off their like graphical potential so it was really cool to see that even from the very beginning of like the racing genre it was being used to show off a graphics tech with uh you know with vector graphics in mm-hmm. that way uh, so that was kind of a cool thing to see just in, in, in the terse, in the um, over the course of my research. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried not to go back to the same franchises too many times. I wanted to have a lot of variety. Um, but even just, you know, going from like the original Zelda to Wind Waker or like, you know, Mario to Mario 64. Um, you know, just game like game, like seeing the, the leaps within a same franchise was, was pretty cool to see, too. But I try to keep a lot of variety. What, was there a particularly stacked year where you're like, I it's like very. It was very hard to make that decision. I mean, I assume there's no, plenty. Like 1998, 2001 right? is the, is the, is the Zelda, Zelda I'm thinking of. <laughs> well, the, I'm trying to think off top. Like 1996 uh, or 98 is like Half Life for 2007. Ocarina of Time, <laughs> like Metal Gear Solid. There's one of those years. What's 2001? Yeah. Metal Gear Solid Two, Halo Combat Evolved. Um, what else is uh, Final Fantasy X, which I like a lot. So Me that too. like packs. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the ten's good. Um, Advanced Wars was that year also, which I like a lot. Again, this is maybe just okay. like well, this, uh, this is maybe this a very like Kato's, Kato's, This yeah. is Kato's game of <laughs> the I'm year. But I'm saying those are popular 2000. games still. Like, like I mean, <laughs> Devil May Cry was a was a big game that year too. It was, yeah. Okay, even just having well, Halo talking. and Metal Gear Two, MSG Two, uh, in the same year, like those are two kind mm-hmm. of like. Right, like uh-huh. one of them changes FPSs forever. The other one is a kind of, a kind of wild game that people still talk about to this day. Right, like yeah. <laughs> Sorry, mm-hmm. I, I did a I did a Reddit AMA recently, and ninety eight was a chapter. Of people said, "Why didn't you pick Half Life?" And I said, "Well, I picked Metal Gear Solid." Um, <laughs> right, right, uh, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you know, and then I tried to get around it. Like each chapter has a main chapter about the game, but each chapter also has like a runner up pick. Um, mm, and for okay. ninety eight, the runner up <laughs> is Starcraft. So, hell yeah. yeah. Yes. Take uh, that. Gabe Newell. Uh, the runner so, up is StarCraft says a lot about that year. That is yes. my personal favorite game of all time. And I did it as the runner up because I had to talk about Metal Gear. Um, right. So yeah. that, that was kind of the thing that kind of forced some of the picks too. Just like, not just like my personal favorite, but what would be the best one to kind of talk about as many different kind of things as I could. Right. Um, so I ended up then picking Counter-Strike for 2000. So I can kind of talk about mm. Valve as a whole and still get Half-Life mm-hmm. in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then funny you mentioned Metal Gear Solid 2. Um, beyond just my chapters, there's also more than 70 guest uh, essays that talk about games that are not my own picks. So Julie Muncy uh, wrote an essay on Metal Gear Solid 2. 
Nice. Awesome. Nice. Who who else wrote for your book? Jordan? <laughs> <laughs> who else is in there? Uh Jason Schreier. Any names any names come to mind? Jason, uh, yeah, Jason I guess, Schreier, yeah, I guess Jason Evan Narcissus. Yeah, 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 yeah. mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, uh, great. I love Evan. <laughs> a whole lot of comics. cool people at PCMag.com, uh-huh. the website I work for. Um, <laughs> uh, Rebecca Valentine's in the book. Um, and Patrick, you wrote for it. I'm very grateful. Oh, that, I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful. Thank you. Thank you for writing for the book. Uh, I wrote about Soma. Um, you wrote about which, Soma? Yeah, which is increasingly, I think yeah. it might be my favorite video game ending of all time. I, I think <laughs> that I, I feel like that is a game that like sits heavier on me the more distance uh, we get from it. And I tried to, you know, when, when Jordan uh, pitched me on, on the book, I was like, I, I wanted to follow the same sort of pattern of like a slight curveball. Uh, like I was like, what can I pick from that year? That is a game I think about that I think, you know, was in conversation in the year it came out, but I, it was not necessarily like the, the consensus was like the dis, like the really upsetting existential crisis about consciousness was not necessarily the game everyone was uh, championing at the end of the year. But I, I think is a uh, a masterwork that is unfortunately buried under a, a horror game that you have to navigate the monsters. You don't have to do that anymore. They added a mode where the monsters just look at you mean and they don't do anything, <laughs> but it's still a spooky underwater uh, facility with a fantastic story. Ren. When they look at me at you mean, does it make you sad? I don't know. I played it before they added the mode. So I don't, I don't know if it would make me sad. I know the ending made me very, I like just sat in a room, a dark room for 10 minutes, just like staring at the desk I, that, I, that I was sitting at. I think we need more games. I don't, I don't think we need horror games. I think we need sorrow games. Give me, give me a, a game where an enemy just walks up to me and just gives me a mean look. And then I feel kind of bad about myself for a little bit. Give me, <laughs> give me, give me walking in front of Teenager Simulator 2023. Like, I, I, I There's a lot of that in the near games. The near games true. are just that's like true. really upsetting characters and story arcs. So that's less about making you feel bad as much as empathetically you feel bad for the sad person in front right, of you. Right, right, right. No, I'm looking for enemies that look disappointed in me. <laughs> <laughs> like, damn, I can't believe you let me find you. <laughs> really? Uh, it's, like, it's like being on trial in Chrono Trigger, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Just have Ren's personality on trial uh, at all times in, in these video games. Um, what was the the writing process? Like, obviously you already have you know, you have a job. That's what I've always been when I talk to friends that decide to go down the path of writing a book. It's like a huge part of why I've never done it myself is just I don't know where the fuck you find the time to do all that extra research and writing and everything else that goes into it. So what was the actual process like in order to to get to this place? Uh, so, I mean, the good thing is publishing moves a lot slowly than Internet stuff. Um, yeah. So, you know, all the pitches for this were happening in like early 2021. And the bulk of the writing was done over like six months in 2021. So, you know, you, you can work at a pace that's, that's pretty reasonable. Um, but also, I just really wanted to do it. Like, we <laughs> like, maybe wasn't always the healthiest way to do it. But I just really, you know, once that, that motivation of once I do this, it'll be a book that exists, um, provide a lot of motivation. Why is that so? Why is that so important to you? I, I, I get it. I, I, you know, I understand. But like, why? Why is the book? This t- you don't have a bunch of PDFs behind you, right? I assume even though the PDF is the thing you can send to people very easily to read it, I'm getting the impression part of the experience was like having that physical object behind you. 
I mean, also they pay you part of it before you even finish. You get paid when you find, sign the contract, uh, the first part at least. Um, but yeah, nice. I mean, you know, as, as you all know, I mean, congratulations on this new thing. Um, but we, we've all worked for websites that yep. don't exist anymore. Uh huh. Um, so to have all to have you know 300 pages of my video game opinions in a physical object that no one can just delete um, is a very reassuring bit of of just preservation of just you know my writing, but also writing for all these other writers that are excellent and also are primarily online. So to have them have a thing they can just hold in their hand and keep, um, I think is is really is really cool to do, and especially in, in these times. Yeah, no, well, I mean, look, I, I you know, uh, when uh, we were informed that Vice was laying us off, one of the things I did in that first week was attempt to archive all of my work, which I did. I used, I went through multiple different, like, PDF tools to try and figure out which one could just dra- get enough of that dog shit layout, like, through its process, because just, like, the way that the banner ads are insert, like... It was all, like it's just you think it'd be simple like just like hit control P save to PDF like no no, no? like no. like the different layouts or the different years with different ads made it so that even the the work that I wanted to just like shove into a folder and probably never read again but like feel as though I've archived that six and a half years of my life well even even whenever I look at it it's it's gonna look like dog shit like I can't not gonna be able to read it the way that. I published it, not that I was ever like fully in love with the layouts of anything because you're sort of at the mercy of, you know, the system that's been built uh, around you at these websites. Whereas with the book, you know, you that is that's what it is like. you. Yeah, I'm holding it. It's right here. Yeah. yeah. I got 40 of them over here. (laughs) You did. That was okay. I did. So you mentioned you had 40. What are they called? Author 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 copies. Author copies. Is this like a, is this like a negotiated part of the contract? Did you did they say thirty and you said no? I want forty. Like how does that does that process I, I work? Think or are you probably, happy with the forty? I'm more than happy with. Actually, it's actually fifty, but my agency gets the gets ten. Ah, um, see, there you wow. go. <laughs> I'm more. I'm sure we could have negotiated that. I would rather them negotiate <laughs> for other things. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh, fair. Um, but yeah, these are mine to give away with. Um, and then, yeah, because also I ha- I can only give these away. If I wanted to sell them myself, that's mm. a whole other process. Um, mm-hmm. so, huh. I, I, so I can't like undercut them or something. Not to get into the, the publishing contracts. Um, but yeah, I have two whole boxes of them in another room. Wow. Damn. Two boxes? Yeah, they come in crate, they come in crates of 14. And so I got a lot. One thing I think might, is maybe interesting, you know, all of us uh, come from backgrounds of, you know, like talking to people that make games like, Essentially, the role is reversed for you here in the role of going up promoting a book where you are suddenly like the subjects that many of us talk to, which is go out there and talk about the same thing in a bunch of different places to as many people as you can. What has that process been like, knowing that maybe you're getting dropped in a different context? Oh, we can talk about AI like, you know, at the end of the day, you're just like sort of here to like talk about your book, the singular thing. Have you found that exciting? Has it been boring? What has like a promotional process been like for this singular tome that you have to kind of keep talking about over and over again? I have a document on this other monitor called Video Game of the Year Talking Points. That <laughs> I wrote a yes. few weeks ago. Yes. Uh, it has stuff like... Do we miss anything? Is how there many, many talking hit, points yeah. you want to hit? <laughs> um, 
Are we getting a no, good I mean, grade you know, in it's podcast? Fun, it's, fun, it's fun to see what comes up organically. <laughs> um, but yeah, that whole anecdote about Spore, I've, I've said that multiple times. This gotcha. whole thing about it being a physical object that I'm satisfied by, that's been said. Um, Are those yeah. organic yeah. talking points that you have just found coming up? Or is that in the document over on the other monitor to 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 your to your left? It's in the, it's in the document. But Hell it's also yeah. because it, it comes it. up pretty often. So. I love right. it. Ren. Do you... Will you give us a? Will you give this podcast a grade at the end of how many talking points that were hit? <laughs> <laughs> how many do we hit organically? Yeah, uh, someone's like, is this is this a more political podcast? Or is it more, you know? I'm, look, I'm I'm looking for a letter grade. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was wow. on Spawn on Me, so I got to talk a lot more about how there's so many black people in this book, and I'm very excited about that. That is what they think. Oh, I see. So then, depending on the podcast, there are different talking Ooh. points for the. Uh, mm. This, yep. You know what? I get it. I get Did it. Did you have I any bespoke it. for us? What are our bespoke talking points? <laughs> um, the, the more um, <laughs> the political stuff, the union stuff. Um, yeah, the labor that makes stuff. sense. Um, yeah. Hey, I yeah. just like I just like that. That's how we're perceived. That is that is what we're putting out into the world. So yeah. it's good to know that that is land, that's landing a little bit. <laughs> Five check. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't call this like an overtly political book, but it's not not political either. How do you how what would you say? Is some of that like, hey, I want to highlight a bunch of, you know, uh, black critics, or is it more in the context of the book? Like, how do how do you view it as a political object to the extent that you do? Yeah, so it's a it's a really diverse array of critics. Um, I talk about Jerry Lawson uh, in the first chapter. Um, the, you know, the the black engineer who invented uh, game cartridges. Um, it talks about labor stuff. It talks about preservation issues. Uh, there's a chapter on Depression Quest um, about Gamergate. Um, it was all this, all, I had to get, uh, certain lines about Oliver North and Call of Duty, uh, vetted by the publisher's lawyer. Mm. Um, Ooh, and fun. some stuff, some stuff about VR and Palmer Lucky and, and Minecraft and Notch. Uh, all that Ooh. had to be vetted. We're, ve- we're very, very familiar with Palmer Lucky. Palmer Lucky is <laughs> very familiar with shit posting on my personal Facebook page when I lost my fucking job, you creep. Um, <laughs> Friend of the show. <laughs> Uh, uh, he's got to add the word allegedly to a lot of stuff and you're fine <laughs> well, allegedly he's a fucking creep uh, um, <laughs> w- w- uh, what did stuff like that were you surprised by certain like the process part, right like so we're all writers and like not all of our stuff is going through a lawyer right like sometimes stories do rise I've gone through that process where I'm writing out a particularly sensitive subject like it could be Sexual harassment, like essentially certain types of allegations you're making about people, whether you're making them, somebody else is making them. I've gone through that legal process. Were the ones that happened on your book particularly surprising or was it more like, hey, I know if I want to touch on this that like, hey, there's going to be extra hoops to jump through to get it to the other side? I just made sure to cite everything. Like even if it, the, the book doesn't have a, like a like footnotes, but on my own end, I just made sure to cite as much as I could. Um and it was more just funny because the fact checkers and copy editors aren't necessarily like huge gamers. Um, so having to be like, yes, in Metal Gear Solid, uh, there is this line about J. Edgar Hoover being called a well-known racist. He <laughs> linked um, to the YouTube video where that happens. No, I'm um, not. I'm not making a pissed joke. He does get peed on in the game. Like that's, that's yeah. important. These are links to Notch's actual tweets. Oh, um, yeah, I didn't think about that, but it does make sense that even as we're entering generations, you know, like I'm experiencing this with my kids where, you know, I grew up as games 
went mainstream, but now I'm about, you know, about to, you know, I'll be 40 in a couple of years. My kids, my oldest is almost seven. She's going to grow up in a world where that's all accepted. Like that groundwork was laid. And so eventually like that'll proliferate out and there will be, we'll assume we're still publishing books by humans, um, but maybe it's fact checkers for the AIs. I don't, I don't know, but there'll be um, nothing but fact checkers. for the AI. <laughs> right. Yeah, I guess that's, that's true. Things. I guess that's true. Um, that the kinds of like the people you're working with on all levels will have, I'm sure they have heard of a call of duty, but the sort of nitty gritty that you are talking about, the granularity of detail of the history of games, even for modern games, probably is lost on a lot of a lot of folks. Did you find that to be, I don't know, what did you find that process to be like to have to constantly sort of explain? Um, sometimes I find that process to be kind of refreshing to have to like mm-hmm. contextualize it for people in a way that. Uh, the shorthand that we have here or in like amongst my colleagues, like, why is this the way it is? Ah, uh, I can't use any of the words that I normally use. I have to explain this a different way, but you had to do this for an entire book. Yeah. That helped make it more accessible in the way I wanted for sure. Um, for all kinds of readers. Um, it also just reassured me that everything was correct. Like I was worried the whole time <laughs> that I might've gotten something wrong. So to have someone who did not have any, like, you know, like, coming at it completely cold and just would ask questions that even I wouldn't necessarily think to ask just so I could confirm like, Oh yeah, like this is correct. Um, and you know, to give credit to them, they actually caught me on an animal crossing thing. I gotten a little bit, a little bit wrong about like the price of something. Um, they were like, <laughs> Wait, really? <laughs> yeah. I was talking about some item in animal crossing about getting like a gold toilet or something. And they were like, actually it's like this, it goes like this way. I'm like, Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, so, but that so game, shout out to that, that game does checker. that game does fall into the bucket of one could be an Animal Crossing fan and not necessarily consider them especially over the last like you wrote this book after the the great Animal Crossing craze of 2020 at the start of COVID <laughs> and so I have to imagine I, I knew many people that weren't necessarily that are of my age not hugely into games but I'd like well I liked The Sims and then bought a switch to play animal crossing so they could do stuff with their, with their friends. I don't know if that's the story of that fact checker, but it would not shock me if there's a number of people where animal crossing just exists as, yeah, I bought a, I bought a switch to play animal crossing and now it's in a, yeah, their, their, their note in the document was like, Oh, this is a game I've played. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Was it like, I mean, but seriously, like jokes about talking points aside, is there anything else? You want people to know about the book? Is there anything else particularly interesting that like you wanted to share uh, before we we head into a break? Um, I mean, I know this is a podcast, but I would love to talk about the art a little bit. Um, so we got this artist, uh, this New York based artist, Ren McDonald for, for each chapter has this really has really incredible like comic illustrations for each of the games um, that like blew me away. And, you know, I'm so glad I'm so happy how this turned out. Um, so, I mean, you'll people have to see those on like the book itself or through like like the websites, but I, I say that even if you can't read just that artwork alone, I think is, is worth looking at in a physical version. Um, I, I, for at least, for at least for you, I can try to pull up. Uh, some Ooh, here. Yeah. Show Thank show you. us one. A gift um, to the illiterate. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> to us, the illiterate members of this podcast. <laughs> so, I mean, so here's like the Final Fantasy seven one. Oh, that's Hell very yeah. good. That's sick. That's really fun. That must have been a fun process to see that stuff start to come together alongside your words. That that is definitely part of the like when you just Uncharted one's pretty good too. That is really good. That's nice. got a nice like its own like is that sort of a, a house style to the book or is the artist work a lot of 
like similar sort of stylings with the, the stuff that they do. So that's the artist style. But also when we got started, uh, he presented kind of some different ways he could take it of like, you want to do ones where the characters are like in the game or so we did end up doing a mix of ones where the characters in the game, but also people playing the games. So you'll see in like, um, pull one up super quick in a chapter like Dragon Quest, you can see them like playing it on the NES. So that's why you can see like illustrations of the consoles and themselves too. Nice. Kind of adding, you know, more you know, for the, the history is also the consoles, not just the games. Excellent. Uh, well, that's very cool. So the, when people listen to this, the book is not out yet, but it's soon. What is the sh- spiel us away? Like what is, what are all the details on people where they can get it, where you want them to get it uh, before we hit the break? Yep. The book is called video game of the year. It comes out July 11th. Um, it's wherever books are sold. Um, so that's Amazon. That's directly from Abrams. Uh, if you live in New York, um, a story, a bookshop will have, uh, some signed copies by me. There's also going to be like a event there, uh, on, on the 12th, but I think tickets might be sold out for that. Ooh, that's, <laughs> nice. that's a good thing to say. Yeah. That's a, that's, that's, but a I don't, I don't, like, but I don't want to discourage people if they're not. So check, check, <laughs> double check. If yeah. you can still buy those tickets, please buy, please buy them, but you might not be able to. Um, but you can buy signed copies online, uh, from a story awesome. bookshop. Um, you can buy from, from book, also all your like, like bookshop.org, I think is a pretty good, like non-corporate way of buying them. I think, um, my link tree that I've been posting a lot on Twitter has links to also to some international options for like the UK and Australia. Um, you can get the ebook on Kindle or Apple books, but I will say, I do think that the physical version is the way to go. Just, but however you want to get it, I'm grateful for. Um, but yeah, it's video game of the year. If you are an expert on games, I think you'll really appreciate a lot of the really in-depth writing, especially from the contributors that end up talking about more kind of deep cuts than some of the more mainstream picks in the main chapters. But if you don't know anything about games at all, I think it's a really good way to kind of get a good full view of 45 years of, of gaming history. Um, and so Patrick, thank you again. Thank you again for contributing to it. Um, that, that's the book. It's been like two years since this all started. So <laughs> it's almost what, over. Um, the last thing we could do to uh, to pique people's interest is uh, what what did Austin write about? Oh, I mean, um, do we want to? I mean, mm. I th- it's really good. It's very good. It's in the it's the very last one. Mm, maybe we um, should. Okay, okay, maybe not. Maybe maybe. But we'll I think be, that I'll, this I think that this audience will also really like it. Okay, all right, that's good. Go that's a good that. Um, <laughs> okay, can you answer me? You, okay. I mean, you know Austin. You know Austin more than I. Is do. it Dragon's Dogma? Yes or no? It is not. It is not. Okay, good. All right, all right. Okay. I feel like yeah, I have. Right. I have. I, that that is that still leaves a lot of options open. But that's the only one I was gonna. Uh, I will read a line from it. If it oh, gives people okay, into. yeah, please. If people can guess from this line. Hmm. Um. So this is from Austin Walker's. If one of us from, guesses, keep shh. From Don't say anything. Video game of the year out July 11th. Uh, so how long will the name of this game be relevant? Only until the world changes. Damn. Ooh. Ooh. Sorry, Dragon's Dogma. Not you. <laughs> not you. <laughs> Excellent. I mean, that's well, the that whole is- thing. That's the whole thing is that it's not relevant. It's from a whole different like tract of ways that games could have been. I know. Ugh. Well, th- but still can be because we're getting Dragon's Dogma so too, true. right? So there's still we're getting, so another, true, we're getting another shot at this. We're getting it. <laughs> Let me see if where I the can world can up, get it right. <laughs> I can if I can pull up the DM when he told me this is the game that he picked. My uh-huh. reaction to it, I think I remember being pretty funny. Of I can pull that up real quick here on Dying Website tw- Twitter.com. 
making it real hard not to get the final ticket to this uh to this uh astoria uh, books event. i mean you're you're in you're in, yeah if you're new york based come come through is it really uh, okay, just so one ticket left? Is that what you're saying? There's right? a single ticket. I'm looking at the page right now. I could get the last ticket. No, stop it. <laughs> Leave that to the remap audience. Um, so he so he sent his DM, hey, I'm doing this game, by the way. The game of our time. I just said, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. Wow. Hell yeah. I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm reacting genuinely. I, 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 I hadn't. And I you have the to... book, too. I know. I just, I just, I, I just, I wanted to leave some of the mystery here. And this is genuine reaction. I don't, I, I'm not doing a, <laughs> yes, recently did I, we publish an interview in which I reenacted my own questions so that we could fix the audio. Yes. I that is not put... this. I actually wanted to put Austin's in the first chapter to really freak people out, and then we decided against that. <laughs> uh, excellent. Well, the book is out July 11th. Well, Jordan is, is not departing us, but I wanted to make sure and reiterate that we're going to take a, a quick break. Um, uh, ads at some point will be here. I promise. If you're listening to this in chronological order in the future, we have made we're wheeling and dealing, and ads are supposed <laughs> to appear at some point. Not now, but like. Don't worry, at some point, and it's at some point, if you were to subscribe over at remapradio.com, the pod the, the ad the ads would disappear. But they're gone for everybody right now. But that's because people are supporting at remapradio.com. That's the reason we can do this at all. But we will take a quick break, come back, chat some games, answer some questions, and then get out of here. And we're back. Ren. Hi. You are on what you wrote in this document. Uh, you, okay. <laughs> Why, okay. You just, you just lit a lighter. To, the related story. Uh, I was at, uh, over the 4th of July, uh, my daughter, big love swimming. It's just like, just we're throwing things in the water. She goes, get some, comes back. It's like, I'm throwing it for an animal. <laughs> like it's just, go get it. A child classic. She's just a mermaid, but she comes back up and she's like, look what I found. And it was a lighter, like at the bottom of the pool. She's like, what does this do? And so I click it to see if it works. And it does. It's like, that just makes fire. Can I keep that? I was like, no, no, you cannot. I'm going to go throw this away. So that whatever degenerate left of this in the pool um, can't get it. Wow. But you've been playing uh, some CRPGs. Uh, We have a Baldur's Gate 3 coming out sooner than was supposed to. They're, they've mm-hmm. actually moved up the PC release date to, I believe, early August in order to try and avoid uh, Starfield. Um, the PS5 one will come later, and the Xbox version is coming much later because they're having some difficulties with the split screen on the uh, Series S version of the game. But you are playing... I, I'll just throw it to you on what where you want to start, but you you've, you said you're playing uh, Tyranny yeah, and uh, Divinity part. Original Sin 2's co-op. Um, yeah. where, does, where does this all come from? Is this all Baldur's Gate? So, I mean, I've been playing, uh, so originally I was playing Divinity 2 because I was like looking for something to play with my girlfriend. Because uh, I thought I was like, oh, let's be, let's be cute to fun, like play like a co-op RPG together. And, like, and it's and, supposed like, to be sick. It is, it is so, I loved the original Divinity. Or mm-hmm. I guess there's a Divinity and then Original Sin. Like, anyway, I played Original yeah. Sin. Really, really enjoyed it. Story did absolutely nothing for me, but the combat and writing, like, 
like the writing of the plot, eh, but like the writing of everything in the world was really enjoyable. And I, I, the combat was fucking awesome. And so I've really wanted to play the sequel, but now I was like, Oh, there's so much time before Baldur's gate three. I'll fit it in at some point. Did no. not. <laughs> um, but you are with, uh, with, with, with your partner. What is, what is that? What has that been like? So it's been really cool. I mean, like, so it's, it's worth noting that my girlfriend does not play a ton of games. Uh, she's like played games historically, like her entire life, but like just has never like wrapped her head around like RPGs or anything. Uh, and so it was like having to learn a bunch of shit from scratch while playing this game co-op with me, which I think is like a really cool experience of like watching someone like learn basic game logic, not just like not learn basic game logic, right? Basic game logic down. Good. We are not doing like the APCs of how to play a video game here, but we are doing the like, okay, how does one think through a turn in like a turn-based tactics game, right? Like that is like the kind of like stuff that her and I are like working on while we play together is like really talking through like the strategy and thought behind like what has become like for me completely automatic, right? Like the way that I play games is when I, whenever I like get a game, I like play it, I read through the abilities and like memorize them pretty much immediately. Uh, And from that point forward, I'm kind of just like putting the different pieces together in ways that I find fun Uh, But that piece collection process of like understanding the tools that I have access to happens really quickly. And at this point, because I've been doing it since I was six years old, intuitively. Uh, And so it's been like really interesting to like walk someone else through that process and see how like, okay, this is it's, it's really cool to watch someone get used to playing through a turn of combat in a game and be what's like, the stumbling block then because i i have experienced this on a on a, a broad a bigger level because i'm actually doing that abcs of games right. with like my children but what are other things that have been surprising about like oh I, like it just surprises me that this is the thing that you're stumbling with or conceptually grappling with like what it would have been the ones that you've you've had to work through it's the singular solution problem. The assumption that like, oh, cool, like because I could, because I use this in this one specific situation, I I should not use it in this one other situation, right? It's just like it's getting used to like tools having multiple uses, right? And being able to like apply parts because we, we've also been playing Tears of the Kingdom together, which is why like I haven't talked about that game much, is because I've been playing it very slowly uh, with my girlfriend. Is being like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah like, you know. The thing that we did earlier works totally fine again in this situation. We just have to, like, pull the tools from it out of our, like, backpack as opposed to, like, pulling it from the world. And so, like, it's been really cool. Um, It's also been, like, fun to, like, watch someone, like, start to do, like, role-playing stuff for the first time and, like, think through, like, a character's, like, actual affect and, like, vibes um, my girlfriend's played like a ton of like cinematic games in full. Like she played all of Horizon, like the Last of Us games, et cetera, et cetera. And so like seeing her like actually try to embody a character for the first time is like really, really sick to like watch someone do that and like help them through that. And like it's 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 been really cool. I've been like enjoying it. Uh one thing I will say is that like I just I, I've said this before, I'll say it again. I really, really struggle with the tone that Larian often rolls with. Um, which is goofy. Um, it's real goofy. It is, it is like it is. It is intent. It is intentionally top line or top level humorous. Yeah. Um, I don't. I would. I wouldn't necessarily describe it as like a layer of irony. This isn't a uh, like forespoken situation where it is a world that doesn't take itself seriously. It is not poking fun at the fact. Like it's not. It's not uncomfortable being a fantasy world, but it is one that is full of, or do you, would you disagree? I, sometimes that, I think sometimes the first game can get to the point where it's like, okay, you're uncomfortable being fantasy. You are, you are like, 
making fun of yourself for being fantasy. That's a bummer mm. for me. That's 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 a little bit of a that's not a little bit. That's just a bummer for me, right? It's the it's the it's the Minsk and Boo problem from from uh, the original Baldur's Gate and Baldur's Gate Two of like there is a character here who just like shifts the tone of of what we're going for, and like that's fine. That stuff completely misses for me, but I'm happy for the people like you who like it, who like, like, oh yeah, this is like, this is like the writing here is like charming and fun. I will say that the opening of this game is pretty dark. Um, not like the darkest thing I've seen, but like, again, playing through with someone who like doesn't play a ton of games, who isn't used to like CRPGs, uh, willingness to do horrible violence to literally any character, which is like at this point, like a genre standard is that like anyone can theoretically be murdered by anyone else in all of these settings all of the time. Uh, and it's been really interesting to like watch someone like rub up against that genre convention for the first time and be like, Ooh, maybe I don't, maybe I don't love this. Um, and is really fascinating to play in conversation with a game like Tyranny which is a uh by uh Obsidian they did it in between Pillars of Eternity and Pillars of Eternity 2 if i remember correctly uh an extremely weird game uh one of you like play the, more- as the villain right that's kind of like the the bit isn't it kind of define like pl- so you play as a fate binder who is a, like a judiciary slash bureaucrat in an evil empire after that empire has like effectively conquered most of the world. You are fighting in one of the few contested territories uh, of this okay. setting. And so basically your character is sent by the emperor, this like evil emperor, with an edict. Uh, and an edict is basically a powerful, basically the word of God. Uh, you are carrying the word of God. You show up with this commandment, you proclaim it, and like by reading it aloud, your character sets it into the physics of the world. And what they said in the physics of the world is that if in eight days you your army does not hold this specific hill, then every single person in the valley will die by fire. Like we're talking like instant, just instant incineration after eight days. And so, you know, basically it's a way to, this edict is a way to motivate the two factions who are currently bickering over how to take this hill into actually doing it. Uh, and so, like, you are the villain insofar as, like, you are part of an evil empire, but you are not, like, the game's <laughs> primary antagonist. Right? Okay, there are, I see. Th- th- that's, that's an important... That, to me, that is, a, that is a useful distinction, right? You are not playing the primary antagonist opposite a CRPG party. I'm sure that game exists and is interesting. Uh, but you are playing, like... I'm not the fascist. The fascists are just all around me. The fascists. I was born, in, I was born into fascism. <laughs> well, actually, you choose how you got there. That's the other fun thing is that, like, you do, like, background choosing that, like, uh-huh. people are bringing up constantly. You, like, mention, like, you know, one of the things is that, like, it, it explains, like, how you rose to power. And, like, you have to make some, like, pretty major decisions about, like, how you specifically approach some certain battles. Uh, and then factions in the game will bring that up to you and be like, hey, I remember when you abandoned us during that fight. And like, you won that battle. Good for you. You fucked us. We will not forget that. Uh, and like, the cool thing about it is that those relationships actually give you access to more abilities. So like, you have faction abilities that are both positive and negative. So like, you can get negative faction abilities. So like, if you have a really bad relationship with a faction, you still get like a cool mechanical reward uh, for 
you know, playing that specific way, which I think is like really neat. Uh, same thing with all of your like companion characters. All of your companions have like special abilities that activate if you get to a certain relationship level with them. And it feels like a really elegant and strong implementation of a relationship system. Uh, they went on to do a more complex one in Pillars of Eternity 2. And like, I love Pillars of Eternity and I really like Pillars of Eternity 2 from what I played of it. Um, that game's relationship system almost sunk it. From a like systems perspective, I watched like a really good GDC talk by Josh Sawyer, shout out, uh, who, you know, talked about Pillars of Eternity 2's like internal systems. And like Tyranny has a lot of those relationship mechanics, but in the slimmed down, clean, to the point version that Divinity, sorry, not Divinity, that Pillars of Eternity 2 like loses control of and ends up almost like sinking that game. Um, the game had to like to do a ton of balancing stuff because they tried to make the relationship system more complex. And I think that Tyranny like perfectly walks that line. Um, and I'm like really glad to be playing it. It has a lot more of the like, it, its world is taken seriously. It is asking me interesting questions, right? Like this is a game that is like, there is no good option here. How do you interface with this system? Uh, and it becomes a game about like how evil is systematized through law uh, and what it means to be part of a cruel judicial system as someone who can theoretically make things a little bit more lenient on an individual level. Um, it's been cool to play a character who's like a huge hard ass until the minute an actual punishment comes, at which point she's like, hey, maybe just, hey, maybe just, maybe just fuck off. You're good. Like, we're, we're cool. But like, does all of the high level military shit required to be able to like maintain her position? And like, that's a, that's an interesting character to me. Um, and it's fun to be able to play her. Is the game pushing you in that direction of, uh, like more broadly of like, uh, kind of hard ass in this system, but with a tiny heart of gold that can be manipulated a little bit by the player or can you, is it, is like the full spectrum of like, Hey, if you want to be the full shithead, you know, the full fascist, like you can play that oh, character. Or is that. The, okay. So the game, like, okay. I was wondering if maybe like, Hey, at the end of the day, the game is pushing you towards this specific style of character and then you're within a range of that but it sounds like here you can be full evil if you yeah. if you want to okay and, and and full evil not in a puppy kicking way right like you are always having conversations about like the function of your brutality there no no act of brutality in this game goes without like some character mentioning its utility at the hands of the state and like I think that's really sick because like where a lesser game would be like, you are being cruel to this specific character. You wouldn't then have someone chime in and be like, oh, you just changed how state power works in this specific like area. And like that's sick as fuck. Could you give an me. example? Like what is, what is, what is one where you could give us the range of, of outcomes for, for a situation? So like this is a companion. And so like companion quests are a weird example because people will always go for the one that gives them access to the companion in the long term. However, one of the first things you have is like you're you're talking to this guy and uh you know you're deciding this person has been uh is an is is a captured enemy and the rules the legal the law of the empire is such that uh prisoners are given the option uh, are given an option to uh defect that is that is that is true of every single member of sorry every single prisoner of war in this army is that like you can defect if you choose to you just really got to defect uh and so that is the letter of the law 
that is not followed by the actual on-the-ground military who frequently will do, like, public executions or, like, prisoner executions because they're, like, pissed that, like, someone took out a particular commander. Uh, And so one of the first things that you preside over is this woman who is either going to be killed outright uh, or allowed to potentially defect. And so not only do you choose whether or not she's killed outright, you also kill, you also choose what her job is when she defects. Uh, is she going to be enlisted as a laborer until she has to work through the ranks? Does she get enlisted as a spy uh, who ends up going back to the group that she was with to like investigate them? Uh, and like, you know, there's, there's, the fact that there is like not just the two, the one step, there's a one step decision of do you save this person or do you push them off, right? Or, or sorry, or do you save this person or like do you kill them, right? The thing that interests me about tyranny is that the second step of decision making is always there so far of like, okay, you've chosen to do the thing that saves this person. That is going to be more difficult for you. How do you do this within this system? And like that I find really fascinating. Uh, another example is one of the companion characters earlier on. Uh, you can do a trial by combat to save. Uh, is is effectively like you have to like, you're working with this um, shitty bureaucrat to be like, you know, if you're like, oh, hey, technically the law says that anyone can defect. Uh, they hit you back with, yeah, the law also says that I can ask for a trial by combat at any point in time, and I am giving this dude a trial by combat right now. And then you have to be like, let him get killed, or step in and be like, I'll be his champion and fight for him. Uh, and like, it's, it's stuff like that that like, I don't know, I, I appreciate the actual decision-making going on. And like, that decision-making also extends to the game's magic system, which is really neat. Uh, because basically you're finding spell parts in the world and then combining them together to make like bespoke versions of like a given spell. So like what happens when you combine like a fire core with a like cone expression, for example, will give you a different spell from like a fire uh, base with like a sphere expression, right? And so you're like building like these like really cool spells um, in addition to all of this. I'm, 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 I'm really impressed with Tyranny so far. Um, also a game that does not have full VO, uh, which is one of the things that almost sunk Pillars of Eternity 2, uh, and is a major selling point of Baldur's Gate 3, uh, given their 175 hours of cinematics claim, uh, which is, uh, I think, yeah, (laughs) I think that's a lot. That's a lot. Um, well, uh, awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to hear uh, more of that. I'm excited for. I don't know if you're going to be able to finish Original Sin 2 before Baldur's Gate God, uh, no. 3 comes out. Because um, that no. game's supposed to be like 80 or 90 hours. Um, but um, we'll be we'll be keeping tabs on that. Did you just flick the Sorry. lighter right now? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I'm pretty sure I heard that. I'm pretty sure I heard it. I, I was not calling you out as much as I was like, did I? No, I... <laughs> I Listen, sometimes... some people fidget with like a uh, like a Rubik's cube. Ren is just putting on Matrix sunglasses and just <laughs> like using a lighter underneath the table. We all have our things. Listen, uh, sometimes you don't have your ADHD meds or your sleep meds, and so you need to do something with your hands during the podcast. I got sometimes you. it's really bright I got out in you. New York. Kind so of just whatever like yeah. whatever lighter filter you got to lay over the audio. Yeah. Like just take care of it. Like, that's what we <laughs> got Kato for. Thank you, Kato. Uh 
Elsewhere, uh, I uh, started and finished the uh, Pikmin 4 demo uh, that came out a, a little bit ago. Uh, Pikmin, uh, as we've talked about on this podcast, falls into the the ghost trick. Um, Shit, that came out, didn't of, it? Fuck. Yeah, we already fucked up. We're never playing ghost <laughs> trick. Um, but is the is is a is a series that I have played in the sense that, like I've like flirted with in the past, but never really committed to any of the games always been like, Oh, that seems neat. Like I like the, the Nintendo walking in and trying their own take on kind of a, an RTS, uh, so to speak, or a strategy strategy game is, is always interesting. Advanced Wars, Pikmin are, are like, you know, example of that Splatoon being an example in, in, in shooters. Um, and I thought maybe my, one of my, you know, my oldest would get a kick out of uh, playing it uh, with me. Um, and for the hour that she couldn't play with her friends, she did enjoy doing that. And now I'm stuck <laughs> with a character named Jessica in a pink spacesuit, um, uh, trying to find Captain Olimar <laughs> while she went off to play with her friends and do things more fun than me reading all of the text of the Pikmin 4 demo to her. But yeah, Pikmin, uh, if for folks unfamiliar, is yeah, Nintendo's kind of take on strategy games where you are Pikmin are these little kind of plant uh creatures that kind of sprout out of the ground. You pick them, pick them up. There's red ones, there's 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 green glow in the dark ones in in Pikmin Four. They're not something that you get to interact with in the demo, um, but is is one of the major selling points of of the new one. And like the the the, the red ones are immune to fire. The yellow ones zap things, and thus are immune to like electricity. The the blue ones are are ice based, and so they can freeze. You know, like uh, parts of water, and then you can walk across it to to get to things. And everything has a. Uh, I guess Honey, I Shrunk the Kids is like not really like grounded is a better reference point <laughs> now for this this like miniaturization of the world around you. Like you're exploring Earth from the perspective of kind of like an ant um, and, and your character has the ability to control these Pikmin and then they kind of follow you around and you can uh, cycle through the different colors of Pikmin and then have them attack enemies you're co- you're collecting materials, bringing them back to your ship so you can get upgrades. Uh, the, the Pikmin Four, one of the big new additions, is this dog, uh, this space dog that you can ride, and they can also attack things and also pick things up. Um, and yeah, and that's kind of that's kind of Pikmin. It's a game about exploring a big space, collecting things, uh, and it's a very chill RTS, except for the fact that. The, when the Pikmin die in horrible ways, uh, it makes you feel like really bad when this like creature just <laughs> comes up and just munches on them. And you see just the game represents, I guess, souls. It's like unclear, but like when a Pikmin dies or an enemy dies in the game, like a little ghostly apparition appears above them. And yeah. it's like, oh, th- th- is that Pikmin in the the, the the afterlife now? Am I supposed to, that's how I'm supposed to feel bad about this? <laughs> It was actually a papal decree. Not many people are talking about this, but Pikmin also have souls. Uh, they are considered oh, right. um, human in the eyes of God. Uh, <laughs> so unlike animal, listen, the, listen. The Pope says animals don't have souls, but you know who do? Pikmin. Pikmin. Well, the, the little cre- the other creatures when you kill them, I don't think they have ghosts coming out of their bodies Mm-mm. when you. Mm-mm. That might I not. Yeah, I'm gonna so. have to. I'm gonna have to double check that because then, yeah, I think the next time you know I'm in front of a Nintendo person, I'm gonna ask about what is the spiritual implications mm-hmm. of. <laughs> Uh, the Pikmin verse. Jordan, have, I know you've <laughs> you vetted this through the Pope. <laughs> have you right, checked? Do, what the what would it, what did uh, what would the the AIs tell us? Do Pikmin do Pikmin have souls? Um, I I don't know. I don't I don't know if I want the ChatGPT to, to to tell me that. 
Jordan, I know you've you've played, you know, uh, at least you know a part of this game that encompasses some of the demo that that I have played. Like, do you have a history with Pikmin uh, at, at all? Like, what what? How do you go back with this series? Yeah, so I I played all the way through Pikmin three on the Wii U and on on Switch. Um, that's the only other one I've finished. Um, I played a little bit of the first one. I think when they put it out on Wii, just to kind of see how the pointer controls mm-hmm. work. But I couldn't I couldn't deal with the the timer in that game. Um, and that first one is it's a really cool idea, but I feel like you can see them still trying to like figure out like the te- like it's, it kind of feels like a tech demo a little bit that first game. But I thought by Pikmin three they'd really flesh it out into something um, pretty cool. Um, I'm I'm a strategy fan, so that that aspect of it appeals to me. Um, but yeah, I, w- I went to a preview of Ever Pikmin four. I'll talk about that at least. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think they're doing some really cool stuff with this one, um, even just with like how the camera angle is like more intimate and like more behind mm-hmm. your character as opposed to this more top down thing. Um, they, they switched to the unreal engine for this game. Oh. Um, sure. Um, I think, I think it looks great. Um, but yeah, like th- that more intimate view. I really like the, the way the dog, uh, acts as a sort of like hero unit. I think it's pretty interesting. Um, that it's more powerful than the other characters. It's also like a mount and it allows for a sort of like, like platforming elements almost of like, mm-hmm. A lot of Pikmin can't cross water, but if you get them on the dog, they can, and the dog can jump. Um, Pikmin 3 also had this element of switching between multiple captains, which could get a little bit unwieldy. I think they've, they've streamlined that pretty well here by having you just have the dog, and then you can kind of switch between them if you want. Um, but you're really just focusing on those two characters that have pretty distinct um, uses. Um, and then returning from Pikmin 2, I didn't play Pikmin 2, but I know that game had the whole these this, this caves mechanic that's coming back mm. in Pikmin 4. Um, and I know that was in Pikmin 2, but my first thought when I played, like, oh, you added, like, shrines to Pikmin. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I mean, they are. Like, you'll be exploring a space, and then there are, I mean, the, the game is very open-ended. It does give you, there is a structure. There, there are missions that you can accomplish to progress through, but the game, like, it is trying to apply somewhat of a light touch to that, right? Um, which is like, hey, if you want to just, like, Go explore the space, fill out the percentage meter, collect all the treasure. Like, you can do that. You don't have to necessarily go find the missing, you know, uh, space people that were part of your part of your part of your crew. But I, I did not realize as someone that did not play Pikmin 2 at all. I think I played Pikmin 1 and like that's kind of where I left the series up until this point. So I was not even aware that the dungeons were there. But I, I think the, uh, you know saying it's like the shrines is, is a fairly apt comparison because they are just kind of there. There are these just like blue doors that like are in the ground when you, you walk up to one and then you head down. And, and, and you also mentioned that the game has, which is pretty important to Pikmin and how it functions is this time mechanic in which you have, I don't know how long you would say 20 minutes. Something, something 20, like that. Yeah. Fi- it, fe- it feels like 20 ish minutes before it turns to dark. And in the demo, I, they don't, there is a way to continue playing in the dark. Um, I think it makes the enemies like, uh, more aggressive, they probably uh, are easier. To, they can kill your Pikmin easier, but there there is something that can happen in the dark. But broadly speaking, it's on a day night cycle. You bring your Pikmin back, they go on the spaceship, and then you start the day over, and you have that time limit uh, in in front of you. But uh, it does have in the in the dungeons, they're like <laughs> they, the dungeons are bigger and more intricate and more puzzle oriented, and there's less of an emphasis on efficiency, which is a huge part of being on the the top level, like in the main stages. The game is constantly cracking jokes about like hey you want your pikmin doing this and that and this and a whole lot of what you're doing is managing different micro units of pikmin that are doing four or five different things at once 
as you're kind of acting as this kind of like this commander figure uh, on top they, of them. But they in bring the, up in this the, word. Oh, sorry. I was no, going to say, go they, they, they bring up this Japanese word, uh, dandori, which I guess yes. is like multitasking or being efficient or something. And they'll be like, try this in your real life. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do. So what are you trying to say to me, Nintendo? Like, I'm do, I'm, I am, I am trying, I am sorry, I'm not the, 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 what, what were we calling, uh, Rob? Uh, uh, the king of executive function. Uh, the emperor of executive function. <laughs> the emperor. Yeah, emperor. Rob, I think after, so I think if Rob was a king of executive function at, uh, waypoint. I think in helping with a lot of the business stuff of remap, m- may have actually elevated to emperor of executive <laughs> function. Like we haven't, we haven't, we never talked titles with remap, which is why I like, when I started the podcast, I'm like, I don't know, I'm with Ricardo. Yeah. <laughs> are, you, are you are you a producer? I don't know. We didn't actually like do that part of it, but um, uh, yeah, yes, like the the there is that added stressor, and when you go into the dungeons, the game magically just kind of hand waves and goes. So turns out. Time works differently in the dungeons. So just don't don't sweat it. The meter goes away and you can just explore the dungeons to your heart's content and 100% them or or get out if you don't want to bother with it. But the game doesn't it remo- it's interesting how it removes that time layer when you go to that element of the game. And they've removed the time layer too of in previous Pikmin games you would have only a certain number of days to finish the game. Oh, really? Oh, I do remember that about Pikmin 1. I didn't like that at all. I didn't like that at all. (laughs) Me neither. Uh, So you kind of have this like micro and macro stress. Um, And I think the micro stress is good. It makes you efficient in that day. But not Mm -hmm. being able to take as many days as you want, I Mm -hmm. I, I didn't like. Pikmin 3 sort of split the difference in a cool way where you were like collecting fruit for your like food supply. And that determined how many days you had. And it was very easy to get just such a surplus that you didn't really feel it. Um, and And now in 4, they've just removed that. Um, in Pikmin 2, also, the caves, I believe, were somewhat, like, randomized in their layout, whereas now they're more, like, you know, bespoke designs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ren, uh, I-, I believe we've gotten an update, uh, from the field yeah. about, uh, the Pikmin and the soul question. Yeah. Please update yeah, yeah. us. Uh, in Super Smash Bros. Brawl, according to the Pikipedia, the Pikmin wiki, uh, <laughs> in Super Smash Bros. Brawl, purple Pikmin do not release a soul when they die. So I guess I, wow. I guess the purple ones don't have souls sometimes. This is upsetting news. <laughs> yeah, Smash yeah. said, yeah, yeah. Smash, <laughs> Smash said the gay ones don't have souls. <laughs> Nintendo wow. says they're, you know, not they they're they're kindly skirting the the politics, but you know what? We can read. Why? Context is important. Why would Can Sakurai do this? What, what did he mean by this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. We can't cancel Sakurai. No, I refuse. Kaido, delete this part from the podcast. We'll never no acknowledge this. Know. We cannot, no, this we is cannot like when, problematize This is like when Sakurai. Drill got doxxed. We can't let anyone know. Everyone turn away. <laughs> yes. We're just going to forget this ever happened. There's going to be a big block of this podcast and it just bleeped out. And you'll have to fill in your own. We're not going to tell you what Austin wrote about in the book. And we're not talking... <laughs> About these purple Pikmin. Uh, I don't think I don't think purple ones are in the demo, so I don't have any comment. I see, I see, I see, I see. As we know, the but, demo is a sanctified space. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it, I, I think they have achieved an interesting balance of the game's like tension and efficiency. Like it, it like a huge part of it is like you get into the day, you look up, you know, you open the map. It's like all right. What area do I want to tackle today? Like, what space do I want to kind of fill out? Because you're not going to be able to do it all. And even though there are ways of 
you know, you can, there's like a charge mechanic in this one or a dash mechanic where you can run a little further, a little faster. But like, it is meant to be a game where you like are thinking about, that's part of the tactical layer is like thinking about what am I going to tackle today? And then along the way, sort of like making markers in your head of like, okay, but I want to do that and that tomorrow. And the demo, like to Nintendo's credit, is like really expansive. Like I figured I would play, you know, like, oh, I'm sure it's a demo. It's half an hour and I'll be done with it. And then it's going to be something to talk about on the podcast after a holiday weekend. Well, like two and a half hours later, I I finally, so the, de- the way the demo ends is once you collect 1,500 of these the sparkle energy that like expands the the radius or the the capabilities of your of your sp- of your spaceship and i had the object that was going to put me over the edge i was like that thing's big that's going to give me at least 100 of that mysterious energy and then this demo is going to end so i put the i made the pikmin leave it right next to the base i was like no don't touch that this demo's not over yet and then i just like did some more a couple more things i wanted to finish in the space uh, before I, I finally let them uh, cash that in, and then Nintendo put a, a lock on on the demo. But uh, if you've never played Pikmin before, I don't think there's any there's no barrier to entry here. Like this, the, the four, you know, is not uh, something that should give you any pause on whether you can sort of grok what's what's happening here. I I really enjoyed my time with it. It made me excited to to, to play that full game uh, when it comes out uh, in in the near future. But um, yeah, Pikmin four. Pretty good. And there's a skill we'll tree if, in it now. That's new. Yeah, yeah. yes. There's a skill tree for the dog. Uh, the dog can earn uh, upgraded things. You have gear. Uh, Ren, please. Does the dog have active abilities? In so far as what? He can jump. He can dash. He You can upgrade his attack and healing powers. Um, what does else are we a, talking about? Does he have a beat? Does he have a... I have an important question. Yeah. Mikado. I, I, I hope this stirs... Does the dog have a skill shot? Your mouth. <laughs> does the dog does the dog have a skill shot? I don't think you control the dog directly, right? Is Pikmin right? a MOBA? Is Pikmin- you can control the, the yeah, dog directly. Okay. Yes. Is Pikmin a MOBA? Is Pikmin a MOBA? <laughs> no. What's no. your creep score, Patrick? No. There are like in theory you're creating shortcuts and there are uh, uh like efficiencies in lanes mm-hmm. to a certain yeah. degree mm-hmm. of how wait a second. Hold on. You said but- the word lanes. <laughs> I mean, if I mean, you wanted to make that compare, like you can look at the map, and like you're picking up, you're making shortcuts so that your mm-hmm. Pikmin can get things back faster. And sometimes enemies do repopulate that area, oh, and you would want to kill. Camp. That's a creep camp. Patrick. Something called you, you could you could say they're similar to ads uh, to a certain degree oh in those God. lanes. So oh if, if that makes you want to play Pikmin more, not that it's my job to sell you on it, but you know. I, I mean, guess you it, could say Pikmin. I mean, Pikmin that, predates the MOBA, but also MOBAs come No, it doesn't. When did the first Pikmin? They, they are no, no, no. You're right. They are all descended from strategy games. You're sure it's true. When was Warcraft? Pikmin one is 2001, and Damn. if I can pull up the chapter here, <laughs> um, in 2003, hey guys, I think we're gonna get a really good grade. 2003 <laughs> is the Dota, Dota runner-up, right? Chapter. Okay. Okay, I all right. I stand corrected, just by a little bit, but it was there. Yeah, <laughs> Defense of the Ancients, two thousand three. Yeah, um, here in not the Pikmin, the Pick Wiki or whatever you <laughs> call that thing. Pick, well, Picklopedia, I think Pick, is the name. Pick, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. that's good. Uh, yeah, it seems very good. I'm I'm excited to 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 play more of it. And yeah, like I, I recommend folks check out um, 
the demo uh, if they're they're interested. Um, before we get to fo- oh okay, <laughs> Ren, what? Ex- ex- <laughs> We're gonna keep Pikmin going. Extinction. Mm-hmm. Pikmin extinction. Hmm. Hmm. Jordan, before we get to uh, letters from uh, Remap Radio uh, listeners, uh, a game that you've been uh, playing that we haven't talked about, but I, I've seen some some really cool chatter about is uh, Cassette Beast. What is what's Cassette Beast? Uh, so that's another one of these uh, uh, kind of indie Pokemon homages. Of it's funny we were talking about games of, of using game to kind of teach people how to make like how to make the right decision in a game. And I've always admired Pokemon for being a game that really drills down its audience. Like, okay, here's the kind of decisions you want to make uh, in these situations, you know, in a, in a turn-based RPG, which is a pretty complicated genre. Um, but now you have whole generations of people who play those as kids and really want more complicated, more more stuff like that. Um, so there was stuff like uh, like Temtem and that one with the mm-hmm. guns or something. That one's not oh, out yet. Oh, the, is the gun one out yet? I don't no. think that's out yet because we just is saw a new trailer for that. Access, maybe. I don't. I forget. Oh, if it was, we would have streamed it. That, <laughs> I don't think. God, if we, out. yeah, if we missed the boat on that, I'd be upset. No, there was a trailer at the, there was a trailer at the, the thing. Um, yeah, Summer Games Fest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Faux yeah. so three. Out yet. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's another one of those. Yeah, uh, it's from uh, it's a developer called uh, Byton Studio. Bitten Studio. Um, I thought it just neat. I thought Cassette Beast was a cool name. The whole kind of in-universe gimmick is that you are like recording the monsters onto tapes and then becoming them. Um, so mm. there's this whole kind of m- music theme throughout when you evolve them. It's called remastering them. Um, you get different tapes that have different like affinities for different monster types. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it's Pokemon still ultimately at its core. You're doing these turn-based battles. You're capturing monsters. Um, the I, I enjoyed that it's a little bit more like I know these more recent 3D Pokemon games have had more open worlds, but I like that they brought some of those same ideas into this more classic 2D Pokemon look. Um, the world is almost like a, like a 2D Zelda almost in that mm. you are you can kind of go in all directions. And you might encounter like um, like an environmental puzzle that'll require you to use like um, like one of your cre- you know like in Pokemon they'll have like fly and surf and all that. Right. In this one, I ca- I captured something called Bulletino, which is a living bullet. And that let me dash. Yeah. <laughs> let me dash through uh, rocks. Um, so yeah, you're, you're picking up quests kind of in a pretty freeform way. Um, you know, you're fighting like kind of the gym leader uh, equivalents. Uh, they're like evil team equivalent is a group of evil like homeowners association people or something. <laughs> Good. Um, I think they're all evil by uh, uh, by nature. I'm not sure if there's the, the, the good homeowners association. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the story is also kind of buck wild. Like you're like, don't know how you got on this Island and neither does anybody else. You're like trapped here or something. And there's a lot of like, like King Arthur mythology or something, or like a medieval Uh thing. Um, I'm like, I saw, I saw the green Knight two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Great movie. Every Pokemon game has an ancient civilization that fucked with Pokemon in a different way. And I guess that's true also of cassette beasts. Yeah, right. and you're fighting like they're like these kind of boss monsters called archangels, and they're very crazy looking. They look like they're like 3D models in this otherwise sprite world. One huh. was like a big skeleton puppet guy that reminded me of like you know the way that Undertale got kind of freaky or like Earthbound kind of got weird. I think there's actually some continuity between Earthbound and Pokemon. Um, some of the same people or something. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I think the big hook for for Pokemon fans is that they they made the combat um, more in depth. Um, in that, 
Um, each battle, you always start with two, so you're always thinking about how can I best use both of them yeah. um, in, in this in this fight. There's a whole new array of type matchups to learn. Like, there's plastic type that melts if it gets hit by fire, but because <laughs> it's artificial, uh, like, the more spiritual astral type is weak against it, huh. because of, like, this is, like, a fake thing in the world. Right. Um... There's this whole, because the whole idea is that you are becoming the monsters, you also, that kind of changes how the health works, too. So say you, like, one-shot somebody, they will then turn into themselves, and then if you were able to get another hit on them before their turn, that that um, that takes away from their own, like, human health bar, but then it, you know, when it goes to their turn, they're then able to switch into another monster. Mm-hmm. So that's another kind of layer of things to think about. Um, yeah, you know, it's more complicated, but not like overly so. And, you know, gives you some more to think about. Um, there's a lot of cool options for changing how the level scaling works. If you make it easier or harder. Um, I'm playing on Switch and there's, it, it doesn't run as well as it should for how it ultimately looks. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, it's a turn based game. So I don't That's need, like this super stable. But, um, but yeah, I enjoyed it. I reviewed it for PC Mag. Um, cool. Nice. Excellent. I, well, that is, uh, that is, yeah, I was just. Uh, are they all? Is it all two v twos usually? Uh, unless there's like a boss happening, or you are all you always have two. Yeah, you okay. may not. Your opponent might not, might not always have two, but you always have two at least. Nice. And your your characters can have like eight moves at a time. Oh yeah, it's kind of like a, like like bravely default in that you earn a certain amount of points each turn that like accrue, and then different moves require different um mm-hmm. you know, different um, different spend in that way. Nice, nice. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, and the fusion mechanic. Yeah, all once you, there's a meter two that once you build it up, any any two can fuse. So while there's only maybe like 120 ish uh, individual uh, characters, there's also like unique fusions for every every common. Oh my god! Oh my god! That's a I lot. <laughs> that seems really neat. Yeah, Kato, don't go play Bravely Default again. I'm not. We don't talk about that. Gonna, no. We don't Kato, talk about don't David, do no. Bravely Default. We don't two. talk about Bravely Default. Mm-mm. I think it's on Game Pass as well. If people. Because that piece, yes, it is. Nice, nice. Um, uh, Yeah, it looks really cool. Um, Oh, this was dropped two days before we uh, were... (laughs) Lost our jobs. Oh, is that... (laughs) (laughs) Like, I feel like I I didn't hear anything about this game. Like, how did I miss it going through the way? It's like, oh, things got a little weird. (laughs) Why did I hear that (laughs) End of April was a little wild. (laughs) It was a little little wild. Excellent. Well, let's uh, get to um, some uh, questions from uh, Remap. Uh, listeners, you can send in your own questions to uh, questions at remapradio.com. Uh, this one, actually, I'll just pull up this one first because uh, it actually relates to something you just mentioned, uh, Jordan, about level scaling. Mm-hmm. Hey, cartographers. I'm so glad you're able to make a transition and keep talking about games. Uh, I've enjoyed the podcast and come to think more critically about games because of them. When Pokemon Scarlet and Violet came out, there was a lot of pushback related to the fact that the map had distinct zones that did not do scaling to match your party level. Diablo 4 has a limited scaling where certain zones are always going to be several points above you until it's time for you to go there, but will generally keep the levels of the enemies within a certain range. When I booted up War Tales, it gave me the option to determine whether or not zones were going to be scaled or static. Fire Emblem and Gage scaled the random encounters to your main character's level. All that is to say, where do you land on level scaling in games? Do you think it enhances the gameplay and your enjoyment of the world, or do you think it subtracts from a sense of geography in the world? Alexander, momentarily from San Antonio. So h- how does it work in 
cassette beasts specifically. You can adjust how if it does it at all um, mm. to make it, you know, or how much it does it or like if it's for if it's to kind of bring things closer to your level or to make them more difficult. Um, so there's a, there's a, there's multiple ways you can go about it uh, to make it easier or harder for yourself. Kind of is it always how do the Pokemon I mean, I know that's mentioned here, but like the history of the series, how has Pokemon handled level scaling? Um, it doesn't. Right. It's set. But it's always been mostly linear, right? Like those worlds are not, I wouldn't call them open right. worlds really. Um, they're mostly, yeah, linearly gated, uh, even if it looks like an open world. Um, for the most part, you have a singular path that you're walking through those games. So it just scales up, like the level scale up. And like sometimes you hit a wall where you're like, I haven't done enough fucking fighting in between these two towns. I got to go back and grind a bit. Um, and sometimes like they're, they're designed well enough that most of the time you're fine, right? Like most of the time, the amount of battles that you do between two areas is enough to level up your, uh, Pokemon unless you're taking a lot of losses or something. Um, which for the regular trainers in those games is usually not, you're not going to take a lot of losses. Um, Scarlet and Violet was, I thought really interesting given that it was the first more open, like the most, open a Pokemon game has really ever been where like you straight up have free reign of the space directly outside of like the main hub, which is the school that you're going to. Um, and um, I expected there to be some sort of s- scaling just because of how usually it's kind of a linear path upwards in, in Pokemon games. But I went and did like all the things East of the school f- for a bit. And I was like, let's go check out West. And then everything was just low level again. So because it's kind of this circular map, they basically created these concentric rings of difficulty going out. And I think that was actually a really smart design because what it allowed me to do was I, I went back and for the first time ever in a Pokemon game, I made it an entirely second team from scratch because all the Pokemon were low level again on the on the west side of the school. So I was like, well, this is an opportunity to bring up low level uh, Pokemon in a much easier and like smoother way than like normally you would have one little baby sitting at the front of your team that you would switch out immediately yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, exactly and it would take forever to get a whole team a whole secondary like a b team fully leveled up this allowed me to just go in and be like oh i can just level up a whole b team from the start and i'm i'm playing the beginning of the game again and it didn't feel to me that that felt really fun like that i was i really enjoyed being able to have more variety and more uh, a, diff- a wider pool of Pokemon that I can pick from because I had another chance to go through the early like five to ten level uh, like Pokemon group as I like w- made my way to the next like objective I had. Um, I think it, it really ultimately to the to the question, I think it really has to do with how it's implemented. Right. Like I feel like a lot of ways like in Pokemon uh, when it was linear and that there was no level scaling, it could become frustrating to hit a wall at a certain point. Um, but that was mostly, I feel like, when I was a kid and I, like, really didn't... I, I still don't like grinding for the most part, but, like, it, like, really ground my gears sometimes hitting that sort of wall and, like, maybe a little bit of level scaling would have helped in, like, the early, early games. But again, like like we just talked, the fact that there's no scaling for Scarlet and Violet, I really enjoyed. And I think it was just implemented smartly. It's implemented in a way that 
it, it geographically sets things further from your central hub as more and more dangerous as it goes out. And that allows for like, like the, the question asker was speaking, like a kind of sense of geography to the space that I really like. Yeah, this is this is exactly why I'm generally anti-level scaling. I love to have my ass kicked by a creature and then to be like, damn, can't hang out with the creature. I'm not I'm not built for creature. Yeah. Um, it, it feels like more of an adventure that way, I feel. Exactly. Yeah. And and it sounds like like, you know, those Pokemon games specifically got it right where it can give the sense of an open area, but that that you still have these kind of handcrafted uh, like scaling of the enemies to provide a sense of place. That's where I am. Like, yeah. it's, there's nothing more annoying than in an RPG, like being over level, but then having a quest take you back to a place. And it's like, I, wa- I want to be overpowered. Like, I just want to get through. I'm not here to fight these birds. I did that. Um, <laughs> I don't need them to be level 46. That's not, does not provide a right. sense of adventure uh, for me. So I'm, that's, that's usually where, where I end up as well. Um, that reminded me too that um, in Cassette Beasts, only your character levels up. So you don't have to worry about managing different oh, levels. Oh, oh, that's really nice. Yeah, because yeah, sometimes it could get it could get hairy managing like, oh wow, my my starter is like ten levels above everyone else. And it just kind of feels like they can roll most of the things as long as the type matchups are okay. But you know. That's nice. That's really that's, nice. That's interesting because d- d- have you found, Jordan, that that leads you to using a wider variety of creatures because the it's not dependent on well these three have been rolling for me or, fi- or whatever your group is but it's like oh I, I know i can bring this one out because i don't have to worry about like this like whether i've spent the last five hours grinding them up to a to an arbitrary level yeah they're all viable and you know they're the only stat that, ma- that matters for them is just um whatever experience behind the scenes they're using for determine when you can then remaster them so you do mm-hmm. want to like use them so they be able to get that experience, but you don't have to worry about them not being the correct level. Right. Huh. That's cool. That seems like that would make Pokemon more fun, but they'll never do it because I feel no. like leveling up your Pokemon it's is too, intrinsic to the Pokemon yeah. experience, even <laughs> if it's bad. Like everyone would sit down and go, this is terrible. It would be better if you scaled your character and you could have the whole party, but that will never happen I mean, because that's that's just how Pokemon works. Yeah. That's also like what competitive play is for. You know, like there's a reason that most competitive Pokemon play happens on secondary websites uh, as opposed to actually in game because like getting your team set up for actual in game competitive play and doing proper EV and IV training is fucking miserable. It's miserable. It sucks. Uh, and so that's why people just would much rather use like off. Um, unofficial like battling channels even for like high level play um it's also like that's also the reason that you know the game uses the double battles format is because that is the standard in competitive play which is explicitly why temtem uh does double battles is because it's just more interesting single Hmm. battles in pokemon are such a fucking waste of time uh versus (laughs) double battles which are like which are like consistently tactically interesting yeah um well so much yeah. so that like the 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 main like gimmick in scarlet and violet was an idea that could possibly throw a wrench into one-on-one battles being the whole crystallized thing where suddenly the pokemon that was x uh uh typing is y typing and you weren't prepared for that right um mm. but like yeah it's like they know it's a pro- they know it's a problem but they don't want to 
They don't want to just be the full on, just make it doubles all the time, which I wish they would. I wish they would. <laughs> um, it's, it's much more interesting, but you know, it's just more fun. It's literally just, it's just more fun, right? Like the moments where they give you in Pokemon games and like mainline games where they give you a little buddy who fights with you. That's great. Give yeah. me a little buddy who fights with me. That's usually like the best part of the game in terms of like actual like narrative um, momentum as well. Uh, this comes in from Anonymous. Uh, hey, Remap Radioheads. Sorry for the odd greeting. That's okay. That's like half the fun. Yeah. And now we yeah. have to do all brand new ones. Um, but as you'll see shortly, I'm kind of reliving my youth at the moment. Oh, I get it. Radio. Mm-hmm. Multiple layers. You see, a couple <laughs> of weeks ago, I went to see Matchbox 20 for the first time in over wow. 20 years. Wow. Okay. I've always heard that all the good vibes of your younger years is nothing but nostalgia, and you'll never recreate it. But in that concert, listening to that band, I could have been 16 again, cruising down Broadway in my small Nebraska town, playing yourself or something like you on the five-disc CD changer I had just installed in my car. The closest (laughs) I'd ever come before that to reliving the feeling of my teenage years was when I moved to a new city and learned they still had an actual video rental store complete with shelves upon shelves of DVDs and VHX boxes organized by genre. There was even a small room in the back with a no one under 18 allowed sign above the door. In both of these cases, it wasn't just nostalgia. It was something deeper. It drew memories and feelings out of me that I hadn't thought of it in years. It was magical. So my question to all of you is this. Have you ever had that experience? Love the shows. And as always, fuck capitalism. I Okay, hold on. The first thing I have to address, Ren, the 18, this is where the porn is? Is is that Was that gone by the- it existed. All I right. Got <laughs> we got them. Like, that's the, oh, man. The, uh, that was, like, I didn't. the video game section at the family video used to be. And then they added the porn. And then they added the porn. <laughs> <sighs> the not-so-family um, video. <laughs> it was, yeah. like, because this stuff doesn't really exist anymore, but for folks that never got to experience it, like, you would go into these video stores, and behind a, like, cloth curtain would be <laughs> the porn like yeah. the, i mean that's that's it's not like all the r-rated movies this is the adults it's the adult adult section because yeah. you could turn over the vhs tapes and if you want to see what faces of death is like you you can find out what faces <laughs> of death is um and i remember it was like one it was like kind of odd because uh, you know, no, you know, disrespect meant to anyone that wanted to go rent a video from that section. But it was like you'd watch someone go in there, and it was like someone went in the porn section. <laughs> I kind of was like, you almost like it was like, well, a bell went off when like all the kids because the kids couldn't go in there. And you know, my parents are picking out whatever we're watching, and me and my brother are just running around and be like, oh, "Someone went in the booby section, like they're looking at boobs." Uh, and it's hell like- yeah, they're gonna look at a dick and balls. <laughs> <laughs> Both. Now there is there is something uh, lost about that that moment. I'm not saying it needs to be captured and like anything is truly lost. I just mean it has been lost. Not that. People are necessarily lesser for not being able to be like, look at the guy going to get the porn um, at the family video store. No, Patrick, it's okay. I think we can agree that the fall of Western civilization is caused by me not knowing that that guy's about to look at dick of balls. Uh. 
Um, but uh, has, has anyone had, can anyone like think to a certain, is there a memory that comes about something like instantly transported you in a way that this person is describing? Jordan, have you had an experience in the semi-recent memory of like, oh shit, like this actually worked for me in the way that people talk about this where it transported me back. It doesn't have to be a concert, but like any anything that you've had recently that comes to mind. Uh, I suspect that this might happen when I go, I'm going back to my hometown a few weeks to do a book signing at um my like hometown library. Oh, that's so good. That is the best. Like, How fucking cool I've, is that? I've not been to in like 15 years, maybe. So I think it might happen there. <laughs> that's awesome. Wow. That is, that is really, that is, I, my, um, moment of feeling like I made it uh truly was um there is a I'm not gonna name it because I still go there but but there is a uh bar that I spent a lot of time in it was like a family like restaurant sort of place but it was like right off the water uh uh by this lake and it's where my parents hung out it's where all the kids of my parents hang out and uh it's a little less family friendly these days but sometimes my 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 uh uh, kids will come there and, and hang out with with other people that were that were with because usually there's games and there's things for them to run around with and there's there's a park right nearby. Anyway, long story short is that like one time I was there with my family for uh, a gathering and someone came up to me and recognized me. I was like, holy fucking shit! This random ass bar in a small town. <laughs> this person knows who I am and they did it in front of my family. It's like, I'm going to try not to cry right now. Like, this is like one of the sincerest forms of validation. I I feel extremely seen at the moment. And it was cool, like, to have this full circle moment of, like, a place that means a lot to me then collide with the work I had done um, in a way that I found, like, moving in a way that I hadn't really – it's not like it was a goal that I set for myself to, like, have something like that happen. Uh, but it was a very uh, kind of affirming moment for – like all the steps I had taken to get to that point and then have this random event occur in the, in the middle of it. Kato Ren, anything, anything come to mind for nostalgia? No. Ren I think shake. I'm too youthful. Too youthful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kato. I mean, I did see MCR. Oh, hell yeah. I feel like I've seen a lot of that. Like, the I think there's recent. a, there's a yeah. lot of people our age going to see the emo rock bands they loved growing up yeah and well, having a moment especially it was especially good because i'd never been able to see them live right i didn't go oh. to very i didn't go to basically any live shows like big live shows as a kid apart from like my brother was in a ska band so i went to like a bunch of local like you know that's the small bullshit i'd never been to an arena show like mm-hmm. basically ever except for um i i hit I did get to go during college to see the gorillas when they were on the plastic plastic beach tour, um, nice. which was cool. Snoop was there. Uh, the uh, so MCR seeing them in in the first time live, but also just like oh wow, this is yeah, this is hitting my my you know th- this was on on repeat back in like m- m- middle and high school, and just like it definitely brought up all 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 those memories, especially because it was like. A, a wonderfully rowdy crowd like you know 
there was there wasn't a single word that Gerard Way sang that didn't include you know the hundred thousand people or whatever in that in that arena also singing along with. Um, <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, that is also. I I have a slight, but I feel like this. I don't think that that feeling is nostalgia. I feel like because I feel like a lot of the things that we talk about when we talk about nostalgia is includes a sort of like rose tinted glasses view on the past and maybe a specific yearning for a return to that. But actually having the feeling of being returned, I feel like that's different than nostalgia. I agree. So, like, when I was thinking of my answer to this question, it was more along the lines of when uh, I had this recently where I – when I went to be on Giant Bomb's uh, not, you know, faux E3 uh, couch uh, when I was out there in Los Angeles, they actually – the uh, – uh, the, the their office that they were using out there is right next to the La Brea Tar Pits, which is mm-hmm. right next to an old Comcast office, and in that Comcast office – was the old G4 offices. That old G4 office was right next to one of the places that I lived in LA when I moved to LA years and years ago to work at G4 uh, for a time. And when I moved out there, that place was just getting sort of developed. It had like, didn't really have much except for a Safeway and this one Mexican restaurant and a bar. And now that place is full of, shops and stores and apartment like so i can't i coming back to that it wasn't nostalgic but it immediately trained i i was supposed to go back to this jw marriott bar that's right next to the la convention center which is where a lot of people were staying and uh someone had offered me a ride i was like i'm i need a minute like i'm gonna walk these blocks for a little bit just because I did find myself like completely transported because my memory of that place is none of this is what it was. It was completely transformed. And so to go back to a place was just neat to be like, oh, that's where that really creepy magic shop was. And now it's like a weed store. And to walk (laughs) around there was, uh, it was so cool. Like it was just really neat. But I wasn't like, I think my life is in, my life wasn't in a bad place, but it was in a different place bad then. And so I'm not like nostalgic to return to that part of living next to the La Brea Tar Pits, but it was very cool and interesting to go back to that place in, in a different context. And I think that's a little more of what you're talking about, Kato, than it is like, man, things were better back then. Right. Back when right. back when those emo bands could make cracks about uh, like sexual assault. We all just <laughs> sang it and cried about it, not really knowing what the words were like. That's not. Right. Hopefully, like what people are saying, <laughs> yeah. I think it's more like the transportive part about it is yeah. can be can be magical. So, uh, yeah, please uh, write in with more questions to questions at remapradio.com and we'll cover more of those uh, in the future. Uh, as we wind down this episode, I want to thank everyone for listening and to thank Tumelo for the track Moments Pause. Uh, you can follow more of Tumelo's work at tumelomakes.bandcamp.com. You can support everything we do at Remap Radio by heading to remapradio.com, which includes all the details on our basic and foundation tiers. Uh, uh, this week, uh, radio, uh, Remap Radio supporters were treated to a podcast interview uh, for Citizen Sleeper 2, which was excellent. And Kato and I recorded a little uh, nostalgic look back. A little nostalgic. <laughs> now, you know, it could be uh, can a year later be nostalgic, but uh, you know, kind of looking back on Citizen sure. Sleeper, what we would want from, an, from a sequel and then actually being able to talk to the designer about the plans uh, for that sequel. Um, I know this sounds 
like bullshit, but I promise there will be a system shock 101. Um, since, like Natalie had to it's gonna happen schedule <laughs> for personal reasons at the very last second. And believe me, Natalie feels terrible about it, uh, but it'll get on the book soon. Maybe, uh, but probably like it'll happen. Everyone playing that game. There's going to be a goddamn podcast about it one way or the other. Um, and this Friday, uh, we're going to be recording a second installment in our watch through of the bear season two for foundation uh, members. We'll be covering episodes three through six because we need to finally know. I haven't watched it yet. What happens in that goddamn? I know. I know. Goddamn episode six. I know a bunch of the stunt casting has been spoiled for me, which is uh, fine. I, I uh, just because X Y Z is in it doesn't doesn't mean it, I won't enjoy it. But um, I w- I kind of wish some of those like cameos had been uh, kept. But I, it's that's what happens when I waited a two, two you know two or three weeks to watch it. But so we'll be doing that chunk, and then we'll do another podcast a week or two later um with to to watch the whole thing because I I think we really enjoyed breaking down episodes one and two as kind of its own work. Six feels like a really good chunk, and then we'll be able to watch the the end. Uh, kind of, have you finished it? Are you all the way? Are you done? No, you I just did, I, did, six? I, I I feel like we should stick to this. I I was like, I really yes. like not knowing what's past six. I yes. haven't talked to Rob. Rob might have finished the whole thing, I, so we'll see. I uh, at the at the chagrin of my my partner and roommate, uh, mm-hmm. who both wanted to just keep going. I was like, I can't, I cannot. If you can find the time to watch it while I'm not around, that's fine. Go ahead. Uh-huh. Feel free to go. Wow. Go on Line without me. But that's I very good. I, I I just like I I will have trouble separating. Th- I'll think. Didn't that happen in that episode? Oh wait, no, yep. that was past. So I, I got. I just nope. have to have the hard line there. No, I know I did it's not good. watch past six. We're good. <laughs> um, excellent. Well, look forward that we're going to record that this week. That'll. I assume that'll come out next week, um, but we'll we'll get that in before uh, Kado. You're gonna go on a little uh, yeah. break, which is why we're recording it then, and then we'll get to the to the rest of the episodes when Kado returns next week. We'll also have Rob back, uh, but until next time, uh, where can people follow everybody? Jordan, our guest, go first. This is your your last time to tell everyone tell the world. Sure. Well, first off, I'm holding up the art for the System Shock 2 chapter. Nice. Oh, there we go. Good. Yeah. A game we won't cover anytime soon. <laughs> we got to get through System Shock first. <laughs> but, but yeah, System Shock 2, just one of like 45-ish games that you can read about in Video Game of the Year. Uh, my book comes out July 11th. Um, if you follow me on Twitter or whatever, uh, Jordan W. Minor, that's where I'm at everywhere. And you'll see me posting links about it every hour at this point. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I hope people check that out. Uh, you can follow me normally on PC famous, famous Ziff Davis website. Oh, <laughs> we love a Ziff Davis around here. I have a long and wonderful history with Ziff, with, with Papa Ziff. Thank, bought me many drinks and lost a few jobs along the way. Who could say, who could say? Who could say? But uh, but yeah, proud member of the Ziff Davis Creators Guild Union. Um, Did so, not have um, that when I worked there, so that is <laughs> that itself is a very important distinction. <laughs> but yeah, PC Mag, you can find my writing about games and tech and all that. Um, and thanks for having me on. This was great. Um, I, I love talking about this. Absolutely, Kata. Where can people? Follow? I don't know. Where are you pointing people these days? Still, still Twitter, I guess. I know. I, I know. I, it's, I don't it's like yeah. it, but. It's where it's it's weird. Like we haven't hit the yeah features wise. I don't want to be there anymore. But like 
I do there's think there is a bit of like people there. There's still it's too not only many that, but I do think we've hit a point where people are like, I ain't fucking leaving. Yeah, you try, no, you get try, me. That's you me. Get you gotta make me. Yup. <laughs> I do think there is a lot. Like I look, get off the platform if it makes you uncomfortable. I, I, like I'm absolutely. You should do that. But there is a little bit of like. Hell no! Like fuck I'm like, you! Yeah, no! <laughs> like fuck you! And and I'm so I, I'm 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 with you there. So where where can people see you over there? At who? At a <laughs> underscore Cato underscore appears. That'd be just some phlegm. I think Sorry. that's a I think that's a uh, that's a blue sky thing actually. The hall <laughs> uh, before. Uh, <laughs> Ren, yeah, they call them skeets. I, mm, what about you? Sorry, you caught me mid big stretch. Um, yeah, uh, that's the next me- app after Threads is uh, <laughs> big, big stretchies. Uh, yeah. You can see my stretchies over at. Uh- <laughs> I do not want people to see my stretchies. Thank you very much. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Ren or Raven, and you can. Uh, I'm just gonna quickly plug this one because we may have some cool stuff in the next few months. Uh, you can follow the game that I'm working on at Farewell Dev on Twitter. That's the studio that I'm lead designer. Excellent. Uh, you can follow me at all the places at Patrick Club. I can sign up for my parenting and gaming newsletter, Crossplay at Crossplay.news. Uh, Jordan, thanks for being an excellent guest and, and coming through. Rob will be back next week. Uh, until then, fuck capitalism. Except for Jordan's book, go home. (laughs) Yes, buy my product, please.